girls. Ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, those that don't subscribe to the gender and everyone who survived the zombie apocalypse, and everybody who survived season one of The Last of Us, welcome to Megan Talks The Last of Us. We are here recording and reviewing the final episode of The Last of Us, episode nine, Look for the Light. Spencer, what did you think? Well, I wasn't cer- I wasn't certain after our first couple episodes that we'd make it this far. With your initial reaction to the show, wasn't entirely willing to bet that we'd make it through episode nine, but... Here we are, and you know what? I think they stuck the landing pretty well. You liked it? You liked the ending? I was surprised by aspects of it. I, I told you previously I was I was thinking this would be like an hour and a half or two hour episode to try to get done everything they did. Instead, it was a rapid paced, like less than 50 minutes. I think this was the shortest episode we've had the entire season. 45 minutes, yeah. But I think they hit the points they needed to. I think they returned to the overarching themes. I think they left us with some... Hell of a hell of interesting to discuss ethical questions, um, and carried on again tremendous acting and some absolutely powerful moments. I think we've got a pretty successful finale for season one of the show. Well, we were always going to finish. I was always going to finish the ep- uh, the season, but professional podcast. Um, professional. Yeah, it was different than I expected for sure. I mean, I expected more zombies, especially from a video game adaptation. I expected more like. Bang, bang, shoot him up, running through the gauntlet type stuff. We didn't get a lot of that. It was a lot of storytelling. I mean, true to form, you told me that Naughty Dog videos were very theatrical, uh, very much plot-based. A lot of times you're not even playing. You're just sort of watching. That kind of held for me as I watched this and tried to visualize it as a video game adaptation. It was as good as a zombie story can be to me. Uh, which is, yeah, what, what did I say? Fastest chicken on a NASCAR track, some crazy shit like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, like, in essence, you know, the tallest whatever in a short guy competition, you know, you can fill in, fill in the blank, right? It's always been that for me and I always will because I don't, once you kill seven billion people, mm-hmm. I kind of mm-hmm. don't give a shit anymore. You check even out if it. they, even if they get a cure, it kind of doesn't matter to me because the earth will be a thousand years getting to where it was before at this point. So, You've, you've taken me too far down the hole to bring me to, you know, like, you know, in all these stories, there's some sort of conflict, there's some sort of plot, and there's tension, and you, you, you take the characters down to bring them back up a little bit, right? Zombie stories necessarily take me too far down. So I'm kind of out. But I will say, <laughs> my brother, my brother pointed this out to me. I thought it was a really good call. Last four episodes, not a single infected in current time. There was some in sure, flashbacks, flashback. but not in current time which tells me they're not necessarily telling a story about infected. Instead, what they're doing is they're using the apocalypse, they're using the infected to clear the table, to put just a few people on Earth in an odd situation, something that's not natural for mm-hmm, our world, mm-hmm. and then to tell stories about people. Right? Which good, well-done apocalyptic fiction can do. Not just purely being about the apocalypse, but about the life that it results in for the people that survive it. Yeah, and I'm giving it a round of applause for that because it tells a story about a guy, Joel, that is really tough and tragic. I think they, for me, they sucked me in to I'm rooting for Joel. I like him. I like that he likes Ellie to where I get at the end of this episode, which is Joel is toxic. He's bad. He's not a good guy. I was curious and Ellie, about here. Ellie will not be with him much longer, necessarily. She She's seen through this. She sees he's not good for her. He has an unhealthy attachment to her now. I can I could go for the next five minutes about all the unhealthy things what? that sort of get dumped in our plate about Joel this episode. And it's really interesting because 
they did the thing. It's a bait and switch. A lot of shows do this where they give you a character, you start to love them, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, God, what is this pile of shit? Welcome to the fun, ethical, and emotional quandaries that people have been having, having played the video game for the last 10 years. Because yeah. in terms of just events shown, very much largely the same between the two, and people have been tied up in knots on the subject of Joel's actions at the end of the first video game and now the end of this first season from the moment they first saw it on the screen. The broader world is now exposed to what gamers have been going through for years. Yeah, that's a, that, that's the thing I uh, I picked up on in the online conversation is basically it was like almost like when the red red wedding happened in the game of thrones television show it was like welcome to the club now you can talk about this sort of seminal event in this canon Mm -hmm. and you finally got there as television viewers so yeah i guess we that's what we'll talk about this episode we'll go through the recap as we always do every week i'll leave the recap heroically bang bang shoot them up doing the recap Mm -hmm. every week spencer will chime in with witty anecdotes Funny stories, witticisms, probably some some comedy this week. I'm going to guess Spencer's comedy? got... I think, I think Spencer has comedy for us this week. I don't need comedy. We've got Ellie's puns again. She's representing all we need in that category. She did crush the puns. Uh, three out of ten. Three out of ten. Best we could do. Five. At least five. Seven out of yeah, ten. Maybe. Definitely a three out of ten. Then we'll do best line of the episode, Spencer, every week. Supplies me with nominees for best line of the episode, but I am God Emperor of the segment. I and I alone will select best line of the episode. We'll go to familial moment of the episode. We actually don't have a big slate of familial moments that I would like to nominate for that this episode. <laughs> We've got There's a, a lot of, lot of really, <laughs> lot of really bad toxic shit. And then we'll go to, I think the segment that everybody wants Every, all the listeners of this podcast that I have interacted with, I've heard feedback from, they seem to want, they've been driving toward, it's basically been like a, let me just hang on with these two bumbling idiots for hours every week mm-hmm, to get mm-hmm. to ethical questions of the episode for the finale, because that seems to be what people want it, it, to hear about. So we, I promise you, we will not skip on that segment. We will get to best line. We will get to... um We'll do best line of the episode, familiar moment of the episode, and we get to ethical question of the episode, we will let that breathe. We will have a very long discussion about that when we get there. I really appreciate when you and I just accidentally stumble into things that people actually like, and it really is apparent that people are enjoying our little ethical ponderings at the end of each of these episodes. Yeah, I think people who really like this canon, and what I've picked up on is rightfully so, there are people who really, really like this video game canon. They like they the first... The first, uh, from what I can tell, people really, really, really like the first video game. The second video game is a little bit more uh, complicated, it seems like, in the feedback. Yeah, it's not as universally loved, although a lot of people do like it. And then I think Naughty Dog is is teasing a third, but it hasn't been released. The people who are wrapped up in this canon, I can see how they would want to get to this point to have this discussion. Right. Because you, I mean, in essence, it's a story about two people. We get a lot, we get a bunch of story, little stories about people, but it's about Joel and Ellie. And ultimately one of the characters did a thing that is worthy of hours and hours of conversation, which is what we're going to get to when we, when we get there. So let's start out with some housekeeping. This is the last episode of Mangum Talks, The Last of Us. It's the last time we will be reviewing a Last of Us episode for season one. We will be back, of course, with you when season two gets here. But until that time, there are a lot of places you can catch Mangum Talks podcast right now. Myself and Jamie, another person on the podcast network, mm-hmm. as reviewing week by week The Mandalorian. You can check that out over on Mangum Talks Star Wars. We released our latest episode on episode two, The Mythosaur. The Mythosaur episode two over there on Mangum Talks Star Wars. I'm looking forward to returning for two episodes uh, here, here in some time for that podcast. 
Oh yeah, let's do the tea. Spencer will be back midway through the season and at the end of the season. So we will get Spencer feedback on Mandalorian. But the next episode of Mandalorian, I believe, is supposed to be an almost an hour long. It's gonna be the Ooh. longest episode in the series history. It'll be like ninety or fifty-five minutes, I think, is the next episode. So really excited to review that one with Jamie over on Bangkok Talk Star Wars. Spencer and I will be carrying on in two different pies. It's the only time I've ever been able to do this, Spencer. Because we go we do these we do these these television reviews, right? And then we get to the end of the season. And then we always say, oh, you can check us out over on this podcast feed. This time I can tell you there's two. We're going to do Ted Lasso, which is beginning this week. Spencer actually does the recap for Ted Lasso. Lasso And that's over on the Lasso Lowdown. It's the Mango Talks podcast, Lasso Lowdown. You can go over there and listen to our review of season three, potentially the final season Mm. of Ted Lasso. And then in two weeks, Succession is back. And we will be reviewing every... episode of succession season four over on the podcast feed line of succession and that podcast will kind of look and feel a lot more like this one where i'm leading the recap spencer is doing the last line of the episode and we have some segments so if you want to continue on with mangum talks podcast you got three options mandalorian ted lasso and succession we are here pick, for your, po- you. pick your poison folks pick your poison <laughs> but until then we are not we're not quite ready to jump off this podcast feed we have to review episode nine look for the light we start with a lady running through the woods, visually, uh, visibly pregnant. And the more she runs, the more clear it's actually, she's not just pregnant. It looks like she might be in labor or beginning yeah. labor or something. Well, well the, along based on the events that we see later. She's barely keeping the baby in. Yeah. She goes into a house. It looks like a big country house. One of those big farmhouses mm-hmm. that sort of sit out in the middle of somewhere very picturesque and beautiful big rundown country house as she gets in she yells it's me but nobody's there so that tells me she was either ex- either people lived there and she was expecting people to be there or this was a meetup spot right it was one of the two and throughout all of this we can hear in the distance not so far wah, in the distance wah, anymore wah, 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 wah. The, the sounds of infected rapidly closing in did i do a good infected there that wasn't really good was it, it you, you do some impressions very well man the infected Three out of ten. Three out of ten. Best I can do it for you. Something like Five that. Five out of ten. Yeah. And she gets no response, and the labor is continuing. She hears the infected outside. I won't try to do the infected voice again. She goes upstairs. She checks, and there is blood between her legs, so she doesn't have much time. I mean, I, you know, I don't I, – we're, we're, we're two middle-aged men here doing this podcast. Like, let's we, – we are not experts here at all. But it does seem to me to be a – quick movie magic cue that a baby's coming when a woman hand between the legs pulls up blood and then you know one of two things has happened either the baby is coming or she's had a miscarriage right that's the two things they're usually trying to tell us in in filmmaking admittedly bloody show can be a sign of actually either of those things um but yes they heard the immediate cue that just provides that quite uh, just it's meant to be a Pavlov's effective order. See this sign, ba- bad thing happening with respect to pregnancy. It's meant to be just the, the speed dial to that conclusion. Yeah, it, 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 that's kind of what I was pointing out, is that it seems like maybe a little easy. Like, it kind of like... Let, it's shorthand. Just, shorthand. Boom, boom. Let's just do this. Let's just get it done fast. Yeah. yeah. She goes upstairs. She um, goes into another room, locks the door behind her, and Braces sits down. An infected breaks into the room attacks her seems like the infected typically it's weird because when you see them in big groups they seem to be up on two legs but when they're attacking humans they seem to get down on four legs they they can go pretty feral in those kind of contexts it seems yeah 
and it attacks her. She finally is able to grab a knife that's down by her side, a little, uh, little switchblade. Uh, Ellie's knife, as we may, may recognize it later. And she stabs it in the head, finally killing it. Look, see, this is this lady's name is Anna, and it did seem to me like Anna knew how to kill the infected, right? You'd stab yeah. it in the brainstem, you stab it in the neck, which is what she did. Takes it down. Um, and, I mean, g- given what we know of Ellie's age, and we find out in a minute this is Ellie, this is Ellie's mom that's giving birth here. She's had a few years to survive in the pandemic, like you know, six or seven of them potentially. Yeah, I was. I had a little bit of a. Check this joke out, Spencer. Mm. Pregnant pause there. A little bit of a pregnant pause. <laughs> okay, uh, because seven out of ten. well done. Because <laughs> I wanted to talk about the casting for the mother. Uh, did do you? Do you holy you, fucking shit! That looks just like Bella Ramsey. Uh, and it's it's all the more ironic. I had never realized how much Ashley Johnson looked like Bella Ramsey until they put her on screen. Because I've seen Ashley Johnson a lot of things. She's an incredibly accomplished voice actor. She's wonderful in critical role. And you don't watch the end of the episode, so you may not have picked up on this. She's the voice of Ellie in the video game. Ellie oh. gave birth Does it, to Doesn't Ellie. she die? Did, did, so did she die? Uh, sorry, say, say it again? Did she die, Ashley Johnson? No, a- Ashley Johnson's still very much alive. It well, was, someone died the, associated the voice with actress the... of Tess died. Got it. There it is. That's a- what Ashley Johnson's still very much happily alive. But I, I love that they brought her back. I love that they bring her back. Well, we don't know if it's happily. I mean, she could be having a bad day. We don't really know if it's happily. I talk to her every Tuesday. I assure you, she's doing fine. Shut up. Look at, look at Spencer. Uh, Talking to Ashley Johnson. Uh, Thursday. Actually, every Thursday. Um, but um, in terms of... I, I love when they bring back the voice actors in the new game. And I love how they were able to work her in of where the voice actress who originated Ellie is giving birth to Ellie, playing Ellie's mom, Anna. It's, it's wonderful poetry they got here on the screen. It's, it's fucking just, kismet because she looks just fucking like Bella Ramsey. It's had, unbelievable. I had never put the two of the, two of the pictures perfect, perfectly together, but I think with a certain amount of makeup as well and also just how they naturally look, she looks perfect as Bella Ramsey's mom. It's dead on. Uh, it's really, really close. Now, she, I would like to point something out. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. The stickler here, as it were. Mm. She was definitely bitten before she cut this umbilical cord. Uh, definitely bitten before she, she cut the umbilical she cord. She fundamentally lied to Marlene on that point. I think Marlene realized to a certain degree she was lying on that point. Yeah. So she cuts the umbilical cord after she sees that she's bitten. Yes. She's a baby looking over. It's really tragic, right? Because like at a bare minimum, the mom knows she's not going to be around. Yes. She doesn't know about the baby. I don't think she knows that for sure. But she knows that she is going to be dying. And it, it, you know, it kind of reminded me of one of those like medieval birthing scenes where like the woman's dying in childbirth, the, the baby minute. comes and she gets, yeah, she gets to see the baby the for like a minute or two. Exactly. Baby's raising sand hell, of course. Uh, my girl, my girl Ellie. Uh, and she says, you tell him, Ellie. Great line. Also, you know, I, I, I can't really give credit to a baby as an actor because that baby doesn't have the slightest clue what it's doing. But, well, there's a really good one over on Mangum Talk Star Wars. He's bat- knocking it out of the fucking park in season three named Grogu. I just want to point that he's out. He's 50 plus and conscious of the world around him. Doesn't quite sell in the same category. This I one, do. I do. I'm going to give full credit to this baby actor. Does great for the time he has. Perfectly, Shout out to the baby actor. <laughs> per- perfectly engages with Ashley Johnson as, as, you know, as his mom, <laughs> as her mom in that scene. Shout out to the infant. The, the infant, I've never seen this one before. Infant knocks down the park. Yeah, I'm legitimately <laughs> impressed by that engagement in that moment between the two of them. You know, more than anything, I should be legitimately impressed with the filmmakers for being patient enough to get those perfect scenes on print. But still, well done for all involved. 
it worked out really well. Now we cut to the credits. Last credits of the season, I have to say. Every single week, the credits have slapped. Mm-hmm. This is a good, good credit it's a, sequence. It, it has been a great theme song for the video game and the show. And just the filmmaking, again, for the process of this. Is it the same people that did the Chernobyl intro? Or which, which intro do they do before? I'm trying to remember. Game of Thrones. They did the Game of Thrones intro. They're doing better here, as we've said before. It's a great intro in all ways. Yeah, it's really good. Cut to Marlene walking into the house with the guy behind her. Marlene's kind of like... She's not the president, but she's like a governor. Like, you know, governors always have like one or two people next to them all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, Marlene is pretty important. She's always got somebody right next to her. And and probably she was still maybe a bit of a junior officer in the Fireflies at this time. She's only gotten bigger. She's running one of their cities. And as we see at the end of this episode, she may be one of the last of their leadership that's actually even left, given the casualties they suffer. Yeah, she calls out for Anna, which is apparently Ellie's mom's name. She goes upstairs. She walks in. She sees Anna holding a knife to her throat. Which tragic damn scene of where she wants to every single moment she can with her daughter for those last seconds. But she's knowing that she's going to that she's she has to be ready to protect her kid. Right. That's what I thought that was. I think that would that that probably confused a lot of people because the knife got put away real fast. It seemed to me like what she was doing is probably common for you. You probably picked up on this pretty easily. But like, I'm not sure everybody did is I think what she was doing is holding the knife there hoping to be able to jam it in her neck as she notices herself turning before she eats her own baby, basically. In some ways, it, it harkens back to that scene with Riley and Ellie of where she's not going to she's not gonna give up a second. She wants every last possible moment that she can I have with this kid. I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to close my eyes. Can always count on you for the perfect soundtrack choices at these moments, but yes. I fall asleep. <laughs> All right, yeah. Thank you, Eris. Uh, um, but it, I think that's, that, that is what, what her motivation is here. And just a point of clarification, this scene's not in the video game. No aspect of this is. We have just a few references to some aspects of what may have occurred in the background for Anna and her connection with Marlene. No chance to see it on screen, particularly Ellie's birth. So I'm just as fresh in terms of interpreting these as you are. So I felt like the value of this scene was that, of course, you get a little bit of backstory of Marlene and why Marlene cares about Ellie. But I already thought Marlene cares about Ellie. Like, I didn't need that. I thought the value was it, it's a really quick and dirty, fast explanation for how Ellie got this immunity. It's Blade. You've, you've seen Blade, right? No. You haven't seen Go, go watch Blade with Wesley Snipes or read the comic. It's great stuff. But it's it, it's the same kind of thing there where he's... Uh, Got some of the vampire abilities, but not actually full converted to a vampire because his mom was bit while he was still in the womb. Same principles apply here. Mom was bit while Ellie was still connected, and so she has got a measure of the infection growing inside of her that's not fully taking her over. That's what they seem to be implying or suggesting here. Got it. So, has a little bit of the disease, mushroom, cordyceps, whatever, but not enough to make her sick but a little bit to give her some pleasure of immunity i don't know kind of like a vaccine it is basically a straight-up vaccine where it's a vaccine in the sense of where it's i don't believe in this well you know this may convert you to the cause look how successful it's been with ellie here please jump on the vaccine bandwagon question for you can we call joel an (laughs) anti-vaxxer uh depending on what they intended to do with the uh, (laughs) cure in the end whether it's a cure or vaccine maybe 
Maybe I from think a we, certain can point we, of view. Can we put that label on Joel? Uh, there's I'm a lot wondering. of labels you can assign to Joel here. Anti-vaxxer may be the may, may be the lowest of them. I'm ready to smear this man's good name uh, on this we're podcast. Get there. I'm going we're after no, Joel hard. But, uh, I, 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 <laughs> we have never had this explanation for Ellie in the in the video game. This is the first time that's ever been offered before. There's been theories ranging forever about how necessarily she's been able to survive having the infection in her system. But now we find out it is live in her. But due to the unique nature of how she got exposed, either a limited amount or the fact that it occurred along with the, basically the mom's stem cells kind of thing, it is growing in her in a benign fashion that's effectively warding off any other cordyceps infection. We now have that in print. Is that, is that how it's occurring? At least from what we saw and how one surgeon interpreted the evidence he had. And I don't mean to throw shade on such a well-done story, but I mean, it all falls apart, right? Because if this is the explanation for how she got that little bit of cordyceps that's in her brain, that's causing the other cordyceps to go, ooh, the cordyceps are already there. Like, I don't know. If that's how it happened, then she would have tested positive on her entry into Fedra school. Like, there's no way they don't test kids going into the Fedra school. They may not. I mean, Marlene, Marlene, that's, that's hard to believe. Marlene would know how that would occur and would be able to gain it. Most likely. We do know that she appears positive on, on the test period, but if there's no way Marlene would have put her in that situation if she would have been tested or if Marlene couldn't cover the test. I have an honest question. For Please. You. If George R. R. Martin had written all of this, would you be so quick to say, well, Marlene could have gamed it, and that's probably how it worked. And that's, that's probably how it's – I'm if, just saying, it's a pretty big – Yes. If D&B <laughs> had, no. That's the hill I'm dying on. There are other canons that we, you and I have been in where you have been a little tad more critical than to just quickly give up. Oh, oh, well, we can just assume that Marlene would have gamed the system. It's like that's I, a I pretty generous a read. assumption. It's pretty generous. I mean, you're, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that, like, uh, uh, viewers, listeners hate when I do this. But, like, I think as somebody just approaching it as, like, a sure, sort of casual, sure. it, casually interacting with it, immediately I think there's no way she could have got this far in Fedra school without her showing up on one of these tests at some point. Because she, she would have been – if this is the explanation – then the fact that she tested positive when we saw the little thing scan yeah, in her head – would have been that her entire life. Well, here's two. It actually, come to think of it, I have to draw back from the theory I just offered because we don't know, and I think we have reason to believe that she doesn't know that Marlene knows that Ellie's infected. Because otherwise, Marlene wouldn't have reacted the way that she did many years down the line when she finds her and Riley. If Mar- we, yeah, so she we, should, exactly. You just killed your own theory. So she 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 couldn't have. She, she couldn't, couldn't have gamed that. She couldn't have yeah, gamed she couldn't have gamed it. So but, she, at some point, she would have been found out. Maybe. But the only time we ever actually see people tested on the show was when they're entering the camp, when they're entering the QZ. And Marlene plainly wouldn't have walked in through the front door because she would have gotten caught. Yep. So smuggled know. her in. Anna says the baby's hungry, but she doesn't want to feed it for obvious reasons. Marlene looks at the baby skeptical. Obviously, and assume- obviously not. She has no clue how this works, but fair, fair concern. It's a tough thing. Like... At a human level, thinking about Anna, who knows she's about to die, yeah. right? She's doing everything she can to save this baby. Be- and the reason we the reason we do this as humans is so that our life had a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So that we can die with some teeny, teeny sliver of peace knowing I accomplished something. That's what she's trying to do. And when Marlene gives that super skeptical look to the baby, think about how terrified Anna had to be. Yeah. 
that Marlene was just going to strip that baby out of her fucking yeah, arms and shoot it or something. I got bit after I disconnected her, after she oh, was born. Man. And she, so she repeats it. It's, it's almost a... It, it's before, almost, before, before, before. She, she, she's even phrasing it in a way of where this is the fiction that you are going to maintain with me because we care about each other. It's like, obviously I'm lying, but we're never. you're never going to acknowledge that. Well, and if I'm Marlene, I would think, well... Well, watch I and mean, find out. Exactly. Yeah, it's either she's either telling the truth, or I'm gonna have to shoot this this infant. I'm is gonna shoot be, the baby in the swaddle. This infant is gonna be a real pain in the ass in about three days. <laughs> like a, you, you talk about teething to the max. That's what we're gonna get with this infant here in about three days. I, 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 in terms of the category of things that are scarring, zombie infant got a rate high. I've played Dead Space. Zombie infants are a scarring get damn thing. And I ask for Marlene to take her to Boston to. Give her to someone who will raise her, keep her safe. Marlene says, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. She also gives the knife to Marlene to give to Ellie, which is the knife that we see that Ellie has. Somebody have also, some people have also pointed out, though I don't need to rewatch, that the coat that she's wrapping Ellie in is the coat that Ellie's later going to wear. Hmm. Makes sense. It would seem to, you know, Ellie does seem the type that would hold on to any Every. vestige of family. Uh, Marlene says, Anna, and Anna says, her name is Ellie. Marlene says, I can't. Anna says, how long have we known each other? Uh, Try to pull out a trump card here. Mm-hmm. Marlene says, our whole lives. Anna says, so you pick her up right now, and then you kill me. Anna's starting to struggle. She gives a brief nod to Marlene. Did you did you catch that? How she's going, ur, ur, ur. like she's starting to she, like get a little bit infected. Well, she even kind of like drops the knife, whatever else. She's barely holding it together. It's been hours, and she's on the edge right now. See, that, that whole part is very interesting to me. And, uh, you know, like if she knows enough... To be able to jam the knife in her neck before she turns. Hmm. That means that the turning is gradual and that you keep some level of consciousness the entire time, which raises the question, dear sir, here in this courtroom. Mm-hmm. I, I, I preside <laughs> to you, officer. Speak, speak on, you good son. As an officer, as an officer of the court, I do. Foghorn leghorn. Is she conscious after she turns? That's the fucking question. That's something the show's been presenting and people have been pondering from the video game for years now. I'm in the camp based on what we've seen on the show, debate on the show, and what I've seen in the video game and heard people talk about before that, dear Christ, sadly, terrifyingly, yes, you are some measure of conscious, alive, and aware while you are infected. You just no longer have control. It, I don't want to think about per, that. Particularly in the video game, there's scenes you can come across of where you see the infected like eating, like gaining nourishment, whatever else. And they're actively sobbing. They're crying. They're in horror as to what they're doing and what their state is. They just can't stop it. And so the implication being that they're fully conscious and aware, but trapped in hell. Mm. Marlene says, I can't kill you and walks away as Anna begs, please, Marlene, please. She gives the baby to the guy with her. She she finally says, cover her ears, talking about the child. Which the guy doesn't. The asshole. No, he doesn't. Yeah, what a shithead. Marlene walks in really quickly and shoots Anna. We see Marlene with a tear in her eye, with a tear in my eye. Little Ric Flair for you. Hey, here's a question. Uh, not a question. Mm. Here's something I'd like to put out there on the record. This will be in the ether forever, obviously. Spencer, if I become a flesh-eating zombie, mm-hmm. shoot me. Would you do that for me? Uh, Would you shoot me? I, 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 yeah, yes, sir. I will chain you against the wall and keep you there forever. I understand your instructions perfectly. I would like you to shoot me. I, uh, I, cut to I will fire a gunshot in the air and convince all around that I have shot you, and then you will be there with me forever. I understand. 
That's how I'll say. Cut to present day Ellie sitting in the back of a blue truck. They did the they did the the John Snow change, mm-hmm. right? Ba- baby he, to present, ba- baby baby Aegon up to John Snow mm-hmm. in the Game of Thrones, and then they did the the baby Ellie to Ellie. So do we connect the dots, right? That it's Ellie. Cut to present day Ellie sitting in the back of a blue truck. Joel is calling for her. He's telling her he found some beefaroni, Chef Boyardee. Good stuff. I, I, he also I, points out. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to note for the overall acting here. Uh, I think they do a wonderful job for this stage of the episode to just show the flat affect that Ellie's representing from the past trauma that she's going for, how difficult she is to engage, how much she's lost in her own thoughts. I think both the show, in terms of giving us that time with that, and Bella Ramsey interacting, do a wonderful job. I think it's an important thing for them to start this episode off with. Completely agree. She's been traumatized. She was almost Plainly. murdered, raped, kidnapped, all that. She murdered. So, she she brutally killed somebody with a cleaver. Even if the prior events hadn't occurred, that would still stick with you. Right. So she she's kind of disconnected as she's processing some of that, or at least starting the process to process some of that. And here's another thing, though. Joel is different Joel's, because he's yeah he's he's aware push he's pushing the issue. He's awkward. He's forcing. This connect, like the connection between them has always worked the best when Ellie is like, ah, come on, Joel, let's go. Blah, blah, blah. And Joel's like, blah, 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 blah. like that's always been the case. It's completely flipped where Ellie is completely quiet, doesn't want to play boggle or any mm-hmm. of this other shit. And Joel is like, Hey, you want to learn how to play guitar? Like that it, it's a, that both of the, both of the actors had to change how they were acting the character mm-hmm. for this episode. It's perfect. And I know, and I know they don't shoot these episodes sequentially, right? So, this really required, I think, the the producers, writers, whatever, to sit down with both of them and say, okay, when we get to these scenes, that's the last episode. That's after these events. You need to act it this way, which is different. I, I think I think they sold that very well for these characters. I think it's perfect in this particular moment to have that. And I love – we've had a lot of dad vibes out of Joel already. But the fact that he's trying to be silly and distracting to a kid, to his child, from his perspective – that is obviously in an emotional state, is obviously sad, depressed, dealing with a hell of a lot of shit. And so his default response is to go to Boggle, teach her guitar, anything that he can kind of throw out so to get her to improve her mood is such a dad vibe. And it's well done in that regard. I don't think that's what's going on. You don't? How do you read it? I think that he's now slotted Ellie in as Sarah. Uh, well, that's he's heavily starting, implied later. And, and he's starting to treat her like his daughter. And he is forcing it and being awkward with it. And it's not just, I noticed, like, I think that that's what the episode does really well is that it start, when I first started watching it, I thought the same thing you just said. I thought, oh, Joel recognizes that she's in pain, that she's had trauma and he's trying to pull her out of it. But as the episode continues, I realize that's not the only thing that's going on. Joel has put her in a different headspace. She's a different, like he's moved her from, Precious cargo that I need to, I, I care about that I need to try to keep some level of an emotional resistance up to, too. This is Sarah 2.0. Right. And I need to treat her like my daughter. And that switch is also awkward, uncomfortable, and something Joel shouldn't have done. Yeah, and I don't think it's a full switch. I think that there are, there's definitely elements of both at play, but I really want to discuss that heavily with you later once we see him start talking about his daughter and Ellie in the same sentence, because I think that's a great moment to go into it, because the show's setting it out for us to ponder directly then. I'd also point out, this is after Ellie is kind of quiet at the idea of playing Boggle, which I would be too. Boggle stinks. But uh, she, Joel... she, could beat, she could beat Joel with this. There's so few things that she can otherwise. 
Yeah, Boggle's not a fun game. So it's not. She looks a little older in this episode too. I think they make she looks Bella aged. Ramsey look older. Yeah, because they do some things to make her look younger with her physical appearance in the previous episodes because she's nineteen playing a fourteen year old. Yeah, but I think they've done some things now to age that up. And there are times that she comes across as more mature, or at least more forward-seeking, or at least broader perspective than Joel does. And I think that they represent that well in terms of her bearing in these kind of scenes. Joel has her hold the gun as they get ready, and they take off. Apparently, um, Joel found a smashed-up guitar in the RV. He hasn't played in forever, but he was thinking he could find a, find a one and teach her. And it's Perhaps they so, it, No, no. It's so forced. He's well, not reading the room. He's not reading Ellie at all. And it's like, I, 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 the more I look back on this scene, the more I feel like this is yet again another example of Joel being a, being really unhealthy and I, I, us, us putting all this window dressing on it because we like Joel. I, I think, I, I think it has an element of that, but I, I, for at least from my perspective, I think you're still pushing it too far. I think his feelings are honest. I think he, I think he does actually have these feelings and does care about Ellie and does is is just trying to make her feel better how he thinks he can and it can be that and also deeply toxic possessive and the violent dangerous side of love love at the same measure too. Oh, I'm not saying it's all it all fake. I don't think it's fake. I don't think it's I don't I, I don't think either forced. of us is saying it is fake. Yeah, it's forced and toxic and unhealthy from my perspective. But I hear what you're saying that 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 you would. You, you agree I think it, that it's a little bit of both, but your percentages are different. I, I, um, I think the fact that it is in balance is meant to be part of the point and meant to be all the more terrifying and uncomfortable for both us and Ellie, too, in terms of how to process it. If it was just one or the other, it would be easier to assign it. I think it is much more interestingly twisted if there are elements of both at play. She finally says, yeah, 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 sure, I'd like to play the guitar, but it's it's unconvincing. It's not. Uh, I, I By the way, I've got a theory about what happens in The Last of Us Season 2 or get mm. video game two or whatever that I'll get to that I'm probably sure. right about. I'm probably right. We'll say, we'll uh, say. They get to a They get to a city area. He says, here's what I'm thinking. And she says, cut through that building to get around that stuff on a skyscraper, go up and get a look around because they done this so many times. Joel says, actually, this time I was thinking we blast our way through the rubble. I found some dynamite in the RV back there. Actually a pretty good joke from, from Joel there. She goes, what really? Like I snaps her out of it. And he goes, no, Cut through that building, get around that stuff, find a skyscraper, go up and look around. So he's attempting banter, and it's not bad. It's not bad. He uh, he understands her, and he's playing off intentionally how different it is for him to have banter and comedy and try to meet with her in that regard. It catches her off guard to the point that she's legitimately surprised when he reveals that, no, I actually didn't find dynamite in the random RV where I found a guitar. Let's obviously do the same thing. He, it, 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 this is the first one that almost kind of clicks with her a little bit in terms of trying to, I, I can't, getting it, getting her out of her funk is so dismissive for what she's going for, but I will just use that for shorthand sake. He's trying to improve her mood and this is a start that actually connects. He said, but I had you going, didn't I? And Ellie just sort of absently nods. They get into a building and Joel comments about how the military dropped bombs and not one of them hit the buildings they were trying to demolish. I, I don't know how he knows that. I don't know how he knows which buildings they were actually trying to demolish. That, that seems like he has, that feels to me like a line where he has a bunch of prior knowledge well, that he, is he, being lo- loaded onto that. He is a contractor. You might recognize the signs. There are some suggestions that this building is in a state of being demolished, whatever else from its current construction. He may be able to read the tea leaves. 
Yeah, but that's not what happened, right? Because Joel explained, I think the few conversations that they were they were bombing highly populated city centers to try to spread stop the spread. I didn't think they were bombing this to demolish the building. What? I thought no, it was- no, no, no. I interpreted what he said as saying they were bombing the city to kill the infected. Why couldn't they have also blown up this building that was going to get blown up anyway in the process? That's how I read what he was saying. Joel opens a gate. Joel tells her he can give her a boost up to a floor. She's not paying much attention. She says, you okay? She says, I'm fine. He says, you just look extra quiet today. She says, oh, I'm sorry. And he get changes tone. Really good acting here by Pedro Pascal. He goes, no, 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 it's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. And she's doesn't really want to talk about it. So, she says, boost, got it. Joel boosts her up. Uh, she gets up there and she basically tosses the ladder on his head and <laughs> takes off gone. after something. So the Ellie that I knew in episode one through eight is gone. This is 15 seconds of the old Ellie. You, you For a just a brief moment, I get a little bit of old Ellie. But she's gone. Enjoy the moment. Savor it. This is this is your girl. She's back for a brief for a brief blip. Yeah, and she just takes off. She tosses the ladder at him. She takes off, and he's like, "What the fuck?" Now, he, getting into the signs of toxicity, right? Of of how the his relationship with her has has bordered onto something unhealthy. Look at the extreme panic he has when she walks fifteen steps away from him. Yeah, this isn't just anger born of worry. This it's is panic. It, it's straight up panic. His Wilson is running away. He has to be always certain of her protection because he does not have a world outside of her. He's rebuilt his sense of humanity in the world on her. Yeah. And like any time Uncle Lee out there to the kids, to the adults, to anybody who will listen. Anytime your whole world is one person, that ain't good. That is not. I don't care if it's Certainly your not kid. Helping. I don't care if it's your kid, your wife, your husband, your mom, your grandma, anybody. If it, if your whole life is with one other per, is is revolves around your relationship with one other person, you're setting yourself up for a really bad situation, and that's what Joel's in right now. So you're you're also setting that person up for a very bad or uncomfortable situation too. Yeah, yeah. By the way, if you do that with a girlfriend, she's going to dump you. She's just going to because you're putting too much on her. You're putting too much on her. So anyway, she uh, she runs. He he runs up and she has run off. Why? Because she saw a giraffe. That is so fucking cool. Um, as he walks up, she says, "Don't scare it." Joel's like, "No, I'm not gonna scare it." So he starts getting leaves to feed it. So they start feeding the giraffe from their hands. Really great internet moment happened this week. Really really fun internet moment for me, which was a lot of people. That I saw again. You, you never know who's showing up on your Twitter feed, but at least mm. people I saw were complaining about how bad CGI this was. And, and, and folks, it really was terrible CGI in the sense that it wasn't CGI at all. It's real giraffes. This was real giraffes, and people were like, "This is terrible CGI." It's so funny to me. They literally, like, I saw the video. They literally had the two of them at a zoo feeding a real fucking giraffe. I did not actually know that. I was I was comment I was thinking to myself during the scene. I never realized how big giraffes were. This thing is like you you you've seen Jurassic Park, right? Remember when oh, they're fe- show. Remember that when they're feeding the Brachiosaurus in the tree mm-hmm. and it sneezes on it. It sneezes on them. This thing will look that big in this particular moment. I just I sometimes don't realize that there are basically dinosaurs still wandering around the world, and giraffes are one of them. Have you ever seen giraffes fight? They smack themselves with their necks and their horns on top of their necks, right? You know what it's like? It's like, remember when you were a kid and you'd play you'd pencil fight? Yes. You'd take a pencil and go, <laughs> yes. and, 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 and that's what they're doing with their necks to each other. And they are, man, when they fight, those neck slaps are it's really brutal. loud. 
brutal. It's so loud. Yeah, it's a crazy thing oh. to see. So, Luckily, this giraffe is not at all representing that right now. It is being sweet as a lamb, and it's a wonderful, wonderful emotional scene. Well, it is and it isn't. Because, again, I am st- I have already started in this episode to feel like Joel's attachment to her is bordered onto unhealthy. And when he's just Fair. glaring at her, watching her feed the giraffe, all I could think was Ellie doesn't want all this. Like, she, she, you're, she loves you. She does. You're her buddy, but she doesn't want this, all of this. This is too much now. Well, man, we're going to get to this later, later as well, but it, it is, this is part of the problem of putting this just level of love, devotion, world encapsulating focus on a particular other person is that she does love him. She does care for him. He is the most important person in her life. She doesn't want to imagine a world without him. But good Lord, does she not know what to do with the fact that he is this level of needing her too? Yeah. You know, I just had a really foreboding feeling when he was staring at her with that sort of like weird, like goofy love struck. And and by the way, don't mean this romantically to take that off the table. It's not. It's he's making her his daughter. And that isn't the part. That's the part that's not healthy. He's almost not. It's not even just the level of he's making her his daughter. He is making her his daughter, but also making her, pardon the comparison, his God. He's making her his universe. He is making her the reason by which he is still living. Yeah. Some could say he's making her more important than the rest of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Just a bit. Yeah. Anyway. She takes off to follow the giraffe who is left and Joel eventually gets there. And what we find out is that it's a whole courtyard full of giraffes and they obviously escape from the St. Louis Zoo. They're doing great. And they have continued to breed. Salt Lake City. So so that's what, yeah, that's what I got here. Salt Lake, Salt Lake City view, uh, zoo. And they have continued to breed. Mm -hmm. So he says, so is it everything you've hoped for? And she says, it's got its ups and downs, but you can't deny that view. So it's a callback to a previous line. Mm -hmm. Episode one, I believe, or episode two. Episode two. Take, so, Ladies and gentlemen, if you are really emotionally invested in the Ellie Joel relationship, leave now. Take that picture <laughs> and get out because uh, I think it's done. Wait, so personally, it's, we're going to we're going to unpack this and ethical questions and everything else. But let me assure you, sir, there are no small amount of people that are still diehard in their relationship and still diehard Team Joel through these events and thereafter. Yeah, and I, and those are the people I'm going to argue with. Uh, Joel looks over at her, and um, he says he doesn't know where the hospital is. She's like, "Oh, we'll find it." He says, "Yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, you know, maybe there's nothing bad out there, but so far there's always something bad out there." Great quote by Joel. Yeah. Joel tells her they don't have to go; they can go back to Tommy's and forget about it. And she's like, "After all we've been through, after everything I've done, it can't be for nothing." I know you mean well. I know you want to protect me, and you have. And when we're done, we'll go wherever you want. Tommy's sheep ranch, the moon, I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. But there is no halfway with this. We finish what we started. Ellie has made her position perfectly clear. She has. And this is the only data point that we will have in that regard, because no one else is willing to speak with her further on the subject. And we'll get to that. That's a problem. It is a problem. But it is notable to me. This is one of the scenes I was thinking about. This is Ellie being the adult. This is Ellie trying to be realistic. This is Ellie trying to ground Joel in the present and in reality in a way that she can see that he kind of isn't. And that is notable. That is interesting. And as you said, the fact that she is, I think, very plainly expressing 
how far she is willing to take this is something that we need to consider for later. She says there is no halfway with this. And even more than that, after all we've been through, everything I've done, it It can't be for nothing. There is no halfway with this. She wants to help. She wants her life to have purpose. She wants this, everything that they've suffered, everyone that they've lost, everyone who's told them the same damn thing for it to have meaning. As they walk through a bunch of military equipment, Joel explains that they used to put, they put all this stuff up immediately after the outbreak. Oh, that that didn't work well. No, and it does seem, you know, the cool part about the world as they have staged it now, right, in, in, in this part of the story is that we see all these little start and stops failures that the apparatus, the, the military, Fedra, and tried order. to tried to do right afterwards, and how it all just sort of bunk and, and failed, and and they were probably all still, you know, the tragic part is they're probably putting up all this military checkpoints and medical facility check in and holding area and quarantine this and all this shit while they still had their fucking Wonder Bread sandwich yeah. in their pocket yeah. that came from the bunked up Indonesia plant it was about to make them all infected so it was really a fucked up affair without I know I'm not breaking new ground there by saying when 7 billion people die it's a fucked up affair but I, I do want to <laughs> state that that's my official to position put, to put it mildly and appreciate the tragedy of the scene of where these were the people with the best of intentions but with just a lack of understanding I mean they were clustering injured people in the same location so as to try to treat them and help them and what they were really doing was making a horrendous a horrendous outbreak event occur yeah. This, by the way, we, we covered this in episode one, right? That this would never happen. I mean, A, there's testing in these facilities. B, like there, the rollout of this type of commercial product of a wheat-based product, bread, whatever, it does not happen like overnight. It's not a shotgun start on a golf course. It would, like it would be phased into the point that people would be able to piece together where it's coming from. So this would never happen, but you have to, you have to kind of push past that, go, okay, this is how it happened. And that's why it was this shotgun start. Yeah. It's, it's a necessary fix. I mean, we've had outbreaks before occurring through bakeries and occurring through fungi. It's part of the reason that we've used a certain measure of antifungals and do a certain measure of testing because we're aware of the risk. Now, is it possible that they uniquely wouldn't catch this one? Maybe, unlikely, but maybe. I'm I'm with you. The biggest fiction is that the implication is that everywhere was affected on the same day. There was outbreak day. And yeah, that's, that's not just, how it works. It's not how our supply chain works. That's not how global supply chains work at all. Plus, yeah, Joe, yeah. Joe explains that they put one up. They put him in one just like this. And he, that's when Ellie says, with Sarah. I'd like to point out, it's the first time she ever has brought up Sarah to him that he's willing to engage on the subject. He pointedly shut down any prior discussion on that topic before. Just, no. Not talking about her, not talking about Tess. We don't discuss my trauma and my loss. Let's give Joel credit. Man's come a ways in terms of being willing to be emotionally vulnerable, or at least honest, with Ellie. Easy to talk about Sarah, when you've convinced yourself that Sarah's come back from the dead and is looking you in the face right now. Not Easy ju- to talk not about. Not just it. that. He also talks about something he's that was man. particularly about him, too, here in a minute. He's, he's a sick man. So he says, <laughs> uh, no, she was already gone. She asked, what was wrong with him? And uh, he says, well, it's for this. And he points to the little scar on his head. And she says, oh, the guy who shot and missed. I figured it would have happened later. That's when Joel says, no, it was me. 
right? This is a big reveal. This is also not in the video game either. This is a unique kind of situation to have Joel tell this story right here that is in keeping with the Joel that they put on the screen. But give the man credit. He's being emotionally honest and vulnerable in this scene with Ellie because he wants to connect with her, not just purely as a Wilson little replacement doll. Yeah. Yeah, I think because he's talking to his daughter, he, um, he, yeah. So this is what happened to Joel, right? That this is what we're piecing together in his story is that we what we saw occurred, which is Sarah dies in his arms, and two days later, or the next day, I guess, second day, he says this happened. So the yeah. very next day, probably still in, in around Austin, try, tries to kill himself, but flinches at the last moment and does not make. Doesn't make contact with the brain. I'm going to say the, that's the scientific term for what occurred here. The, the, no brain contact with gunshot. This may be part of the reason that we see Tommy being very kids gloves with respect to Joel, with respect to the subject of his daughter and the loss and having a certain element of understanding there because yes, Tommy would have been the only person there for this. Otherwise it was in Joel's life. He's aware of the state that Joel was in, where he came from, what he lost and what result, what was left over afterwards as a result of what he went through. So in ret- in retrospect, this explains a fair number of what further explains what we saw out of Tommy in terms of interacting with Joel. That's a really good point, is that every bit of conversation with Tess and Joel mm-hmm. and Tommy and Joel, you can look at through a different lens now that they see him a bit differently than we did in those first few episodes, which they is they see this. him. Yeah, he's all that stuff, but he's also a guy who tried to kill himself. Due to the loss of his daughter, and that still being an open wound that will, from their perspective, never heal. So, yeah, we understand, not only do we understand Joel a little better, we understand those around him that would have known about this a bit better. Yeah, so he explains the whole thing. He says, you know, Sarah died, I couldn't see the point anymore. I would also venture, you know, Joel has a way of condensing the world down to just what's in front of him in yeah. a way that like I I even fell into romanticizing a little bit in the earlier episodes that is actually that's not great because he says Sarah died and I couldn't see the point anymore and it's like I get that your daughter died massively big deal also like to point out that the world is ending I mean that might have had just a tiny teeny sure. little bit of effect on you but you notice how he blows right by that no mention of the fact that billions of people are dying that the society is collapsing the apocalypse is here all he talks about is his daughter I think that's really telling to his mindset and it's like in some respects that is commendable right his singular love for the people he wants to protect and care for but in, on the reverse side of that it's an unhealthy perspective. It's too small of a world. I love watching you go through this because I think it's something that both the show and particularly the video game do very well of where the entire point of reaching this moment was to get us invested in Joel and care about Joel and sympathize with his journeys and put ourselves in his own headspace to now here have us question everything that we saw before because now we have a a better and more complete perspective on what this guy we've grown so attached to, how he sees the world and what he's willing to do with respect to it. It's very well done storytelling to make us kind of have that building affection and then suddenly question and reanalyze it all in light of new events. You know what's fascinating to me is that like we picked this show. I picked this show because of the timing of it. Just because like 
but you had played the game. You knew this story. I was excited to watch you go and through you it. Yeah. And you weren't pushing. But, but no, what confuses me is that you weren't pushing for this at I all. It didn't. was me. It was me saying, hey, Spencer, this kind of works with the timeline. And you kind of you slow played me. You were like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever. Two, you knew all this shit that this story was this deep, complex and interesting. Two reasons. One. Well, three reasons. One, it was a video game adaptation. I kind of assumed it would be shit. That's just ah. built in and ingrained. So ah. I thought I would hate it all the more because I liked the story in the video game so much. Point number two, I hadn't had much frame of reference that you would like it. I think a lot of people, I think that's part of what was so important about episode three, is that it gave people early perspective this could be more than just about, just a zombie apocalypse show. I love episode but, three. But a lot of people, they were, it was still rough for them the first two episodes because it's not their genre. And I didn't know that this would be yours. And point number three as well. Dude, fuck, of course I'm going to slow play this shit. It's all the more effective if I don't tell you shit or be excited about it going in. Yeah, it's just really interesting to me. Because as you're like, yeah, yeah, we've been debating this for like 10 years. This like super complicated ethical question about, you know, how we think of family and family's priority mm-hmm. and your worldview and all this shit. And then you're like, hey, but, but then if you, if you back it, the back, the whole truck up for our listeners, we're doing this podcast. Cause I said, Hey Spencer kind of works with the timing <laughs> to, to, to which I'm going. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I think the timing works perfectly on that. I mean, if you want to do it, I mean, sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it is. Oh man. So she, he says, she says, so, Time heals all wounds, I guess. And he says it wasn't time that did that. And they share a very serious look. And here I think Ellie gets it, right? Emotionally powerful moment. It is. And again, I I don't think Ellie's running away from Joel here. That's not not what I'm I'm indicating. But I do think that she's recognizing, uh, uh uh-oh, like this guy, it's it's getting to a – he's saying that like he's putting – he's even dropping to her. In this conversation, just how much he's putting on to her. I don't think she's... It's a lot for a 14-year-old. I, I think it is, but I don't think she is in any way out. I don't think she's... No, no, in no, any no way, I'm not saying I that. I don't think she's even viewing it negatively in any sense. I think she's really touched by it in this moment. I think, like us, she's going to unpack it now later. But in this moment, I think she is emotionally as affected as we purely were in this moment before we then see what comes after. Ellie's going to kill Joel. Okay, um, so... <laughs> She then, uh, they start to walk and this is the best reading of the room he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think because he's, this has been a pretty heavy start of this episode and he goes, you know what I'm in the mood for? Shitty puns. You know what I'm in the mood for too? Shitty puns. Let's do them. It's so great that he's inviting this again. The, the, the show, the new game, the, the world of The Last of Us does so wonderful in terms of referencing back to prior events to use them to show how much of character has evolved and changed and gone farther from where they began. And the fact that he's now not only receptive, but he's encouraging the, what's the name of the book? I'm suddenly forgetting the name of the author. The, the pun book, whatever else, is just great to represent that. People are making apocalypse jokes like there is no tomorrow. Too soon. And he, he funny line from him. He goes, no, it's topical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's great. <laughs> Moon rocks taste better than Earth rocks. Why? Uh, the answer here is because they're meteor, which I agree with Joel is terrible. I've heard a different answer for this one previously. Oh, give it to me. Because they're out of this world. Yeah, I've heard out of this world. Too. And I think I've that one's that honestly answer. better than meteor. Meteor's rough. Yeah, that's mid. As the kids would say, that's mid. What did the green grape say to the purple grape? 
Breathe, you idiot. I love that one. I, I laughed at that one. I had never heard that idiot. one. Look at that wine joke. Uh, then we see a gas bomb hit their feet. They fall over. Joel is calling for Ellie, but he's not caught again. Uh, is it a gas bomb or is it a flashback? One of the two. It's meant, it's meant to fully discombobulate them. <laughs> Look, here's the thing, okay? I, I just called that a gas bomb. I also, at one point, I think in episode maybe five, I called the thing a, a thing a Humvee that's not a Humvee. Like, I've called... We're being gu- colloquial gu- with this. I've called guns AR-15s that are not AR-15s. If you're listening to this podcast for my my expertise <laughs> Our military of, of so military equipment, <laughs> then you need to switch podcasts, bro, because I, I don't know this shit, and I'm never going to know it, and I'm not interested uh, in it. I, I assure you, to a certain degree, we are purposely doing this to piss off our military friends. That's the explanation I'm going to go with about how wrong— Oh, it's not even our military. I, we, had peop, we had people like write into the website and be like, why, why does Lee keep saying Humvee? And I'm like— well, because Lee doesn't fucking know any better, and he's not going to learn. That's why. I think this is a flashback based on the, yeah. the, the, the okay. discombobulating effect it has. Sure. All right. Flashback. There you go. That's it. Um, so Joel wakes up, and he well, wakes up he also really gets, well done here. Again, the the show loves concussions oh, so much. They clock the shit out of him with the butt of that gun. Joel's got himself some CTE. There's no doubt about that. And he um, he has his head. And, you know, and it, it's not just... The blows to the head, although those are important, it's he even talks about losing his hearing because he shot the shot guns so much. Yeah. I mean, he's put himself Gu- in a guy's rough. He's yeah, he's really got some scars, right? And he wakes up and it, it's really cool staging how they do because he wakes mm-hmm. up and he sees a, mm-hmm. a spray painted Firefly mm-hmm. logo. Did you see that? Yeah, he's he's roaming around the same way you would as you're coming out of concussion or just you know, damaged sleep. Sees the logo, focuses on that just in time for Marlene then to cook in. And it's it, it's, it's a well-done little uh, coming awake with him kind of experience. Kind of like me at the dentist yesterday. I, I went to the dentist yesterday and I got three fillings at one time, Ooh. anti-tooth, tooth reconstruction, no, all at the same time at the dentist office. Novocaine? Laughing gas? What'd they give you? Uh, I don't know. It was just out. Yeah, oh, they, no- out. they knocked you out completely? No, 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 no. no. They just gave me something that okay. kind of made me maybe a little... Like not, not Out of quite it. ready for it. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, here's the thing about the dentist. Nobody wants to go, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Everybody mm-hmm. bitches about the dentist, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How many percent of people on earth get to go to a dentist? A very small, elite, welcome to Western civilization kind of percentage. Yeah. So this is what I told myself and what I'll tell all the listeners. This too. is a luxury. Dentist, if you get to go to a dentist, like like treat it like a fucking cruise uh, ship because it's a big deal to be able to go to yeah, a dentist. You and I have often argued over how regularly you should go to a doctor or whatever else or how I should go to a doctor. Yeah, pointedly. You should go more and often. Even I, even I religiously go to a dentist every six months. Your teeth are important, folks. Go get them checked. Yeah, and we're just lucky to be able to go. So she explains that he got hit pretty hard <laughs> no because Patrol didn't know who he was. So I guess, you know, from Marlene's perspective, Joel is – he's not Ellie-level VIP, but he's a pretty important person. It's very important to keep track of that here in terms of Marlene's decision-making. She values and respects yes. Joel. She wants him to – Blind spot. She wants him to agree with her. She want, but she also wants to have him recognized as a legitimate hero that should be receive all pred- all protections and credence for what he's accomplished. She is in awe of him for what he has done and what he's been able to bring about. She is Lee in the first eight episodes of this show. It is a Joel blind spot, and that gets her killed. It, it, uh, it is Joel blind spot. It, it, it is a blind spot. It is wanting to do the right thing. It, it is a sad thing to say here that. If Marlene 
was not a better person than Joel, she'd be alive by the end of this episode. Yes, absolutely. If she, if Marlene just had a little bit more Joel if Mar- if Marlene, in her personality, if she was being, she'd be alive. She, and and by the way, not not just she would be alive. Uh, potentially, humanity would be saved. Potentially. <sighs> It is a sad thing. She has a couple moments here of where she could kill Joel. And if she was a little bit more violently she pragmatic, she'd be alive. Things would be different. And that's really sad. Let's go through it. Yeah. And, and if you were thinking, like I was, that Ellie was starting to pull away from Joel, to Spencer's point, which I thought was a really good one, is she's not out yet. And, if you, and here's a little detail for you, right? Because Marlene explains that Ellie was mostly just concerned about Joel. When, when this whole thing happened, right? So she is, she's, she's far from out on Joel at this point. Marlene explains she lost half her crew crossing the country. I had five men whose only job it was, was to protect me. And I still almost got killed. How the hell did you do it, Joel? And Joel goes, it was all her. She fought like hell to get here. And Joel at this point, you, you used a great, like sort of framing for this. He's almost starting to see her as godlike. Not that she is God or Jesus or whatever. What? It's that she is his God and he is putting like, cause he says he's trying to give her all the credit for this. And Marlene immediately calls bullshit. She's like, she'd have been dead on day one and she would have. You are what? the one person I never wanted to be in debt to, but I owe you. We all owe you. She's like looking at Joel like, Joel, how the fuck did this happen? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, I'm framing it in religious terms, not because I mean it literally, but because I mean Joel sees her as his redemption. He sees her as bringing light and hope and a promise ever after back into his life from that relative perspective. He is looking at her as almost a divine figure, just in the effect that she's had on him. And I think Marlene, like you said, reads it well. It's like, dude, you know, that's a nice sentiment. But no, she would have died immediately if you hadn't got here. You're the man. You made this happen. Let's keep track of that. I think it's a good bullshit call, right? Because like we saw it all happen. Ellie yeah. would have been dead pretty quickly without Joel. Like that is true. So Joel has to be taken to her and Marlene uh, says, you can't. Ellie's I, being prepped for surgery. I love how Marlene puts it too about you are the one person I never wanted to be in debt to. Marlene, you should remember that. Keep track of the Joel you knew. He's obviously changed. She's recognizing how much he's changed. But don't forget of what the, the Joel you knew is also willing to do. It's interesting because like what Marlene shows here is there ain't no such thing as halfway crooks, right? You cannot be halfway in the game and not be all the way there. She's halfway in this idea of the only thing that matters is a cure. But if she really thought that, she'd have fucking killed Joel. So she's halfway crooked here. That's what I'm saying. As we also see before the end, she's emotionally struggling with this too. And I think that's part of the reason that she all the more sympathizes with Joel because she thinks they're both in the same headspace. And they are, but from very different perspectives on it. Marlene explains, and I think this is an important point, and it is a point that you all should throw at me when I'm talking about what a shithead Joel is, and I'm going to do a lot of it. Y'all should throw this at me. She says, our doctor, he thinks. Those are four important words because that does not mean this is fact. This is what they think. Now, I truly believe the doctor thinks it because he's ready and willing to risk his life for it. But it's still just a theory at this point. And not like like theory of gravity that's like real, right? I'm not using it in that phrase. I mean theory in the sense of like how we normal people use the word theory. I agree. And logically, that is the absolute way to look at this. I think emotionally, though, 
particularly from Joel's headspace, we have to view this as if it is an either or. We have to view this as that this is a cure or you're either embracing a cure or you're embracing not. Practically speaking, he is, he's confident that he can make this work, but there's obviously elements of chance and elements of uncertainty. The fact that they're operating her on her already right away with no other testing or whatever else suggests a certain element of desperation attached to this too. They just be out of concern that, well, you know, of course there's desperate. Yeah. There's 7 billion people dead. I mean, they don't, they don't fuck. Well, yeah. And it also is maybe from a certain perspective too, that they, they can't lose this opportunity that if Ellie dies tomorrow of a cold, think what they would have lost. They got to jump on this now, but it, it it undermines their credibility to a certain point. Not completely, but it does at least put an element of uncertainty and risk. Associated I think a very generous, I think a very generous read for Joel is that this level of uncertainty affects his behavior. I personally don't think it does. I think that he could have been told there 1000% certainty we can tell you that we'll have a cure and he still would have picked Ellie. But I do think that people who are Joel sympathists are going to point this out and say, hey, it, it was this was not a sure thing. And Marlene has extra dialogue here that more heavily detail how it works in Ellie and what their theory is and how they're going to make it happen. So I think in some ways this is the show trying to address how some people, you know, read or interpret the video. Oh, it's uncertain. You know, it's doubtful. You know, they're just throwing science at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, it's not quite saying, that. By saying, no, 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 no. You need to view this as, as they have a plan. It looks like it can work. It looks like it saved humanity. And you need to view this from a story beat standpoint of this is this is the future. This is the hope. Here's what Joel does instead. There's a lot of people who don't out there. I could I just can see from social media who don't trust the fireflies, don't think sure. they're competent, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, here is what she explains. Our doctor, he thinks the cordyceps in Allie has grown with her since birth. It produces a kind of chemical messenger. It makes normal cordyceps think she's cordyceps. It's why she's immune. So it doesn't, it doesn't go and infest her body, et cetera, et cetera. Cause they think she's already yeah. infected. And it He's d- does straight it. up say that it's alive in her system effectively. Yeah. There's like a little teeny bit in her brain that mm-hmm. is just stuck there. Yeah. And that's, en- that's not enough. Symbiotically. It's n- yeah. It's been, it's a benign amount in her brain. That's enough to make normal cordyceps not invade her, right? I think that's the idea. Mm-hmm. He's going to remove it from her, multiply the cells in a lab, produce those chemical messengers. And then we can give it. To everyone, he thinks it can be a cure, Joel. What confuses me about this, and obviously they're not going to get too deep into science here because it's all fucking made up, is that why can't they just put a little bit of cordyceps in somebody's brain and kind of reproduce what happened to Ellie? Well, I mean, it was under very why do they need cir- to take her cells? Well, it was under very unique circumstances where it occurred in Ellie. It just seemingly happened in no one else. From their perspective, it may have just been a one-off, brilliant, unique chance. So they're not going to they're, – they're going to use what they ah. can find in her. What? You hear that? What, what do I hear? That's me old post-it note up here where I said an episode, I don't know, like one or two, that I thought that maybe what Ellie was was a natural evolution, a sort of like kismet one in a million evolution that, you know, humanity sort of – I think yeah. the way I, I kind of framed it was it was it was humanity's response and it was like a sort of one in a million event and that she's she's like – the evolved man that's passed the cordyceps. Yeah, I saw a lot of people online saying, "Well, if they know that right this is, if they know this is how it works, they could just replicate the same circumstances that occurred between Ellie and Anna." I have two yeah. responses to that. One, Marlene doesn't actually, from what we saw, necessarily know that's how it works. She may be able. Uh, to do you want to bite a bunch? Do you do you want to send an affected <laughs> person to bite 
a pregnant lady as she's giving birth. Like that's a, that, that's a that, wild that, one. That's a that, wild one. That's the other thing. That's some mingle of shit. If that's the you know inoculation <laughs> method you're proposing here, that is a, that's a strange uh, island of Doctor Moreau. What? So it, it's perfectly possible this is a mixed factors. It's the unique circumstance, but what occurred. But it also could just be something that's unique in Ellie too. They're not sure, and they don't have enough data points to really test here. Um, one question though, from what, what Marlene just said, politically, practically. Warringly between the Fireflies and Fedra, do you believe Marlene when she says, and then we can give it to everyone? Would yeah. she and the Fireflies just mass distribute it, or would they use it, hoard it, whatever else? Yes, I think they would mass distribute it. Yes. Okay. That, I know I'm a lot not, of people don't think that. I know that people, you know. I'm not people, sure. I think maybe, but I'm not sure. Because I think that, like, their entire existence is to try to help. Uh, now, they're. they're they might not be going about it the way that you would go about it. You might think that in the attempt to help, they have gotten sideways with that Nietzsche quote, like in looking for the monster, you don't become the monster like that. They might have gone that path, but ultimately from what I can tell the fireflies raison d'etre is like fucking, we want to make life better for people. And we think Fedra's not doing it and we want to find a cure, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's any like, that makes us a little they more brutal they for you because you're seeing these now as the good guys that are getting slaughtered by our previously yeah. hero. How can you not see them as good guys? Their whole the whole fucking thing, the whole reason that they're here, and they've done all of this. That Marlene's risked her life, come across the country, that half her fucking people have died, is to try desperately to get a cure for this thing. Then how can they not be viewed as at least some part, some part of the good guys? I, I, I will acknowledge that. And I will offer what we have is the in-text debate that people seize on quite a bit. One of the next things that Marlene says, we didn't tell her. They don't, they don't discuss this with Ellie. They don't give her a choice. I'm curious why you, how do you interpret that? What do you make of that? How much does that undermine them as the good guys or even motivate Joel here? What do you think of it? It doesn't, it doesn't change that they're the good guys. It's too, it's too dangerous to tell her because she could then not consent and then try to get away and et cetera, et cetera. Like they have to do this. Like I, I, I think that like, I think they could have like shot Ellie in the chest and taken her brain out and still have been the good guys. That's how serious this is. Fucking humanity is ending people. I'm, am I the only, I feel like I'm a crazy person. Like Ellie's life doesn't matter. Like I'm, I'm the biggest fucking Ellie fan. But when you're talking about all of humanity, and, and like the apocalypse, her life doesn't matter. Like if, if there's a, even a slim chance that she can save everybody by dying, she needs to do it. Well, and I, I largely agree with you. We're going to get there. Uh, the two things I would say, though, is that if Marlene is willing to emotionally engage with Joel and trying to convince him, she should have done the same with Ellie. She should have at least given her that shot. I, I ultimately agree that the reason that they didn't tell her is that it didn't matter, that they were going to do it anyway. But you owed it to her. You owed it out of respect to her. If you're going to treat her as a person, treat her as relevant, you should have given her the chance to at least agree with you and tried to convince her of that fact. You've got that time. That no, would the, have... mi- the mistake. See, this is why this is why I dropped a little hip hop line on you that might have not sunk in. Ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. You, the mistake was trying to convince Joel. That it's should, not. You're looking at it, that. She way. should have been consistent and just shot Joel. It's the second he woke up because they would have recognized that his allegiance to her was too dangerous before the surgery for him to be allowed alive. 
I'm sorry I sound so fucking evil here, but this is their shot at saving humanity. Mm -hmm. Like, ah, I know we're going to get there. All right. So she's getting emotional and she's explaining, because Joel at this point says, you please, you don't understand. And what's so cool about Marlene. She does. Yeah. But more than just, she gets, gets it that Ellie is special. She also gets what Joel is saying. And like that, I think that's a great little, yeah, that's a great little trait for her to be able to pick up that when he says, please, you don't understand, it was more loaded than maybe a casual listener would have realized because she's a leader of people. She's got to be able to read people well. So that's a cool little detail they threw in there. So she says, I I was there when she was born, Joel. I promised her mother I would save her as a child. So I do understand. I'm the only one who understands. She actually starts to get emotional when she does this. And she says, I'm sorry. I have no other choice. Joel says, I do. When Joel says, I do, they had to kill him. Wait, wait, wait. The, the warning. Even in Marlene's eyes, the warning lights go Goodbye. Off. But she can't bring herself to do it because I do think that there's a there's a genuine, real recognized, real respect for Joel. There's a, that she just can't get past. There's a real recognized real. There's a same emotional state going on here, too, of where she's sacrificing something. She knows from that perspective what he's going through. And she wants him to agree with her because she wants to think what she's doing is right. That what she's doing is justified. And if Joel, who's at the same level of caring, agrees, it can be it can be invalidating what their own guilt and feelings and conflicts that she's going through right now. So both because she owes him, both because she respects him, also because in some ways she needs him to agree. She wants him to agree. She convinced Tommy. Maybe she can convince him that she's still trying to appeal to the better, the the, the greater angels of his nature. She, which is stupid because she's never been able to convince Joel of a damn thing it, ever, and it's been years now that she struggled with this. Like, and he tells her he tips his hand. He says, "I do have a choice." When he looks at her, like, "Come on, Marlene." Is, this I didn't. I didn't think. I thought that this was a perfectly reasonable in-universe mistake for this character to make. I fundamentally agree. I got my argument with my girlfriend on this of where she thought, no, no, she would never do that. I was looking at this going, no, I think she would. And I, I think, think it's a perfect, I think it makes it such a wonderful tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. The, the, the great, yeah. the greatest, the greatest element of, of a tragedy is helpless inevitability of where sh- it, this is a mistake. She knows this is a mistake. We know this is a mistake. But it is so, in, in my mind, in character, in scene appropriate that she makes this decision and then it goes wrong. If you're, here's the thing. If you are watching this and you cheered when Ellie woke up in the back of that fucking car. A lot of people do, man. A lot yeah, of people yeah. do. We're going to yeah. we will then I wish. That. Then I wish you the very best in your life. I really do. But you and I are very different people in how we view things. Because I thought that was like, like... The I don't know like what's what's a what's a real bad ending like when the Titanic sank I don't know whatever a real <laughs> like it was like almost like the episode ended with the bad guy winning yeah that's kind of what it felt like for me um so they walk him out mm-hmm. and one cool little thing that Marlene does this is, again Marlene is too fucking emotional about this she, ain't no such thing as halfway crooks she gives him the knife of Ellie mm-hmm. and it's like. A, to- Man, a token to remember her by. I know, but that just elicits more emotion out of Joel. So they walk him out. This was the moment to shoot him. This was yeah. the moment to just unload a clip on him right there in that room. They all knew it. But, as we said, there's a reason for her actions, tragic as it is. 
They walk him out. Joel's going very slow, and they have to poke him and prod him a few times long. It's another chance to just shoot him because he's not even Comply. following their order. Yeah, exactly. So they go down a stairway. The lights are blinking. I think that when the lights start blinking, Joel realizes that that's going to give him a split second of of reducing the reaction time of the people behind him because the lights are not I, – I, I don't know if I, maybe I was reading too much into that, but I thought that maybe that's why he chose that moment. Question. Just you know, to imagine if things had played out differently. If Marlene had instead talked with Ellie and Ellie was on board and she let Joel meet with Ellie, could this fate have been averted? Is there anything that Ellie could have told Joel to make him walk? No. From your perspective. I, my guess is no. But I, I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, I think if you if you sympathize with Joel and his his narrowed worldview, or at least narrowed in the sense of like what's important, if you sympathize with that, this, this concept of like the only thing that matters is family, then maybe you could talk yourself into the idea that like what he cared about was that Ellie was being mistreated, etc. But like Ellie told him there is no halfway with this thing. She let him know exactly what her opinion was. Like. He already knows this. He knows what Ellie's going to say. If he goes in, this is why he didn't wake her up. You know what he could have done? He could have stood there with the gun and said, wake her up and tell her. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He shot fucking everybody and he stole her. Like he wasn't interested in her having this conversation. He was interested in getting her the hell out of there, which I think he would have done anyway, is my guess. But I, of course, we don't know for sure. What do you think? I know a little bit from, I have some perspective and some knowledge that you don't have yet. And okay. so I'm going to be All careful right. with it, but I will say I don't know. And the fact that I don't know is both fascinating and terrifying to me of where yeah. it is really interesting to ponder a character of when he's then confronted with that. Would he just directly ignore her explicit stated will? He already did. In my opinion. He already did. I think it's at least more likely that he'd go along with it, but I'm still not sure. Yeah. So Joel does the whole hero thing. He bashes the guy, takes the gun, points it at the guy, says, where is she? And she says, he says, fuck you. And Joel just says, I don't have time for this. shoots him. So this is where Joel sort of, whoop, he kind of terminator. He sort of flips. It, and he's just killing every damn body. It's very terminator. You've, you've seen the original Terminator. This is very much Arnold going through the police station shooting all the cops. It felt mm-hmm. that. The, the somber music. Uh, the almost mechanical actions in this part, the slow motion we use, the bullet case and falling, it's well done filming and well done television. In, oh, for sure, yeah. In, in some ways, some be, uh, we're, we're, I, we'll think we'll talk about this at the end about some of the co- complaints some people who've loved the video game have said about this season. Or a lot of people have said there's just not enough action, there's not, not, not enough violence, there's not been a, uh, a more aggressive or violent side of Joel or more killing of zombies, more involvement of zombies, whatever else. I understand that, and we'll talk about it more, but in some ways I feel that because we haven't gotten to see the more violent side of Joel that much, it makes this ending all the more shocking and horrifying because of it. That we're now seeing the fully dark side of Joel, it's only previously been hit at or seen in brief moments, that everybody else has been afraid of, that everybody else has feared. The side of Joel we weren't willing to see is now just blatantly set up on the screen. The fact that we haven't had as much demonstration of that in some ways I feel is almost more effective for just the necessary pivot and turn that we now have here at the end. Yeah. My brother compared it to Danny, Danny's under the like game of Thrones talk this episode, but whatever Danny's turn at the end of the series where she kind of turns and burns King's landing. And here's, here's I where think this I was think more effective in a lot of ways. 
I'm shocked that you think that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, somebody doesn't like the last season of Game of Thrones. Yeah. But I, I think that it's a good example of that, of how that moment could have gone, right? They properly set this moment up. They did. There was a lot of Easter eggs. There was a lot of discussion. There was a lot of warnings. They didn't get in the moment. So we didn't always get in the moment. And it, it built yes. toward toward Joel being capable of something like this, and they 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 laid a lot of groundwork, and so it's that much more effective when we see it because we're bought in. If they had done the same thing in like I don't know season eight, nine, and ten of Game of Thrones, and then had Danny turn, it think about how powerful that right. moment could have been. It's it's kind of like when I watch this and I, I think through the lens of like that storytelling, I'm like. Ah, oh, what could have been with that moment with that character if they had built it the same way that this show did. And, and some people complain that because they didn't do as many explicit violence moments, they didn't set that up as well. But as you noted, I think we got a lot. I thought we got a lot of understanding of the character, a lot of build up, a lot of threat, a lot of scenes to get us to this moment that it, I have not seen a single person say, I didn't find it believable that Joel would do this. Everybody I've talked to, and I fundamentally agree I believe it. that, oh no, 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 it. the Joel I've seen, the Joel I've spent so much time with, I was horrified and terrified that he was going to do this. And then he does. No. Yes, I, I believe it. I believe that he'll do it. Uh, it. They they built this up to a very believable heel turn, mm-hmm. but I still am the crowd. I still, when he he's, does the heel he's turn, still a heel. I still boo because yeah. he's doing something wrong. But I believe it, right? So Joel is blowing his way through this whole fucking thing, and it, you know, I, knowing. Knowing this is a video game adaptation, I'm always looking for the moments where I'm like, oh, where is it a video game? This is obviously one of them where he's shooting his way through the hospital. Joel's playing on easy. This is one of the hardest damn parts of the game. Yeah, and I, and I, I know I followed enough people online to know that this was a moment, a very big moment in the video game where you have this level where Joe is shooting his way through the hospital. And I was obviously, I'm not team Joel here. I'm not, I'm not team Joel in a lot of ways as much as I find love the character. He's a fascinating character. He's Wonderful character, character, by the way. Oh, yeah, don't get that twisted. My criticism of his decision doesn't mean that he's not well written. No, he's wonderfully he's written. Powerful, interesting character. Please include him more. Um, but this was a really hard moment for me to play in the game because I was so damn morally, emotionally conflicted about what I, as the guy playing Joel, was now being made to do to progress the plot. Yeah, so Joel's walking up to the surgery area, which is in the pediatric surgery ward. Surgeon is asking if they have enough power, which would be a question they would get, yeah, right? It seems and, like um, they've refurbished this place a bit, but it's still not great. It's still not up to proper hospital running. Well, no, not at all. They put her under. Joel says, unhooker. The doctor asked Joel how he got in there, and Joel repeats it, unhooker. This is where this moment might seem like a kind of a small throwaway moment. I feel like it's super important when you're making the case against Joel. Because if your argument is, well, we don't know if this is really going to work. And, you know, it's the fireflies telling you. And they said, oh, their doctor believes in it. You know, it could all be bullshit. The doctor wouldn't have grabbed a surgical knife and stood in front of Ellie and said, you're going to have to fucking kill her to get her if he didn't think it was going to work. Yeah, this guy was willing to die for this. This is not just a theory. He believed it was going to work. That That's a really because if the doctor had two hands up, backed away and said, yeah, go ahead, take her. Then maybe I'm a little bit more bought into this idea that it's it, it was all sort of a guess and it was not a sure thing. But this doctor clearly believed it. Again, the story works if you accept this. It You kind of have to accept So many people have tried to justify their feelings of wanting to support Joel Israel by trying to doubt that, oh, the theory isn't real. It obviously wouldn't happen. That is what it so, feels like. Yeah, that. sorry to cut you up with it. That is what it feels like to me. 
that people who like Joel want to continue liking Joel, and this is a way for them to and, do it. I agree with I you. I fully get that. I fully understand that emotional response. The story works and should be understood within the context of you need to see this as more being more just a more than a pipe dream. You need to see this as having value as there being loss associated with this. I think the fact that they've added even more in terms of looking at it in that light to the show just emphasizes how much they want you to see this as a stark choice that Joel was making. Joel just casually, casually shoots the doctor in the head. <laughs> and by the way, doc, doctor's got to be at a pretty, pretty high premium here. And if yeah. you've killed, you've killed one of the few doctors they have that in and of itself is an abundantly evil thing to be doing. Yeah. They, they, Joel very easily could have done this without killing the one fucking doctor they and, had. And it's notable that the camera lingers on the dead doctor on the floor. This yes. is a lost humanity. What doesn't are get you back. doing? The, yeah. I mean, so much knowledge with him that Joel just casually fucking shoots as if it's nothing. It, Joel even previously tried to find, you know, a certain degree of comfort in the idea that you can find somebody else. You don't have to use Ellie. You can use somebody else. Well, now they can't. You've killed the only man who had the theory, the only man who, as framed in the text, had a hope of making this work. And the fact that Joel didn't have the thought, you know, I can do this without killing the doctor is pretty important. I don't kill the doctor. The fact he didn't even think about that tells me that just how unhealthy he is mentally. It's notable. Joel isn't just, this isn't just pragmatic Joel. This isn't the guy that's just doing what is necessary to get to Ellie and get her out. He's murdering people that surrendered. We saw that. They explicitly showed us that. Yep. He's killing a doctor that was coming at him with a knife, a knife to a gunfight. There's any other other options that he could have done there. Didn't choose to explore them. This is a guy that's not just looking to save Ellie. He's looking to hurt people. Those weren't things, Joe. We murdered people. Yeah. Tommy, ring it in his ear. Yeah. So when they take the IV out of, his, out of his arm, he makes them bandage her arm. Yeah. The little fleck of blood that comes out, he's like, put a bandage on that. Uh, Unfucking believable. Uh, no, notable, it's basically just a cameo here, but one of the nurses is played by Laura Bailey, another wonderful voice actor and also in Critical Role, which if you've watched, I recommend. Um, she is also a voice actor on The Last of Us 2, particularly in Last of Us Part 2. So I'd like to point out, so thank you for, for pointing those things out as you see them. I find that interesting. I, some people might say, Drove the Yellow Jacket season one joke in the ground over a few episodes of this podcast. Some people might say, I would like to point out, we had a very nice listener email us and tell us that he went out, he watched Yellow Jacket season one, and he really liked it based on my recommendation. And he wants us to review Yellow Jacket season one. You know what my response is to that guy? What would you say? You think I can get Spencer to watch another <laughs> television show? Are you, you're, you uh, you're emailing them. You I'm going to give him your, I'm going to give him your personal cell phone number. I'm going to be like, <laughs> like you, that's the person you have to convince. It ain't me. I'd gladly do it. Mm-hmm. He makes them put a bandage on her arm yeah. in the middle of all of this. It's a really interesting detail. He makes them turn around. He picks up Ellie. He holds her and he takes her away. We leave with a shot of the doctor who Joel shot in the head and with him, um, it goes the hope for a cure, I think. Joel goes in the elevator and leaves in the parking lot. He's confronted by Marlene. You can't keep her safe forever, she says. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many people you kill, she's going to grow up, Joel. Then you die. She'll leave. Then what? How long till she's torn apart by infected or murdered by raiders? Because she lives in a broken world. You could have saved all caps in my notes. Remember your promise to test, Joel. Mm-hmm. In all of this, what's getting lost is it the promise he made to Tess, which is if you have a chance, a prayer, 
to find a cure, to set things right, you go do it. He has that chance staring right in front of him, and he is just dumping that right off the side of the road. Like He is absolutely bailing on his promise to Tess. This is one of the reasons I wanted to emphasize the different perspectives that both Tess and Bill offer about what is purpose, what is meaning, what you do to keep moving forward. Of where Tess was framing the big picture of we've got to do actions to redeem, we've got to save the whole world. Meanwhile, Bill was saying you find purpose in protecting one person. And Joel has taken what Tess said, assigned it into a build kind of philosophy and perspective, and then made it a religion. It's extremely difficult because he's, he, he references his promise to Tess. He does that to Tommy. He does it to multiple people. Like It's obviously something he carried with him until he didn't, well, until he dumps it. He's associated with just protecting Ellie. That's how he's now viewed it, which is not the mission that Tess sent him on with. I I think he knows that. I think he's I think he's just dumping that. I don't I think, think it's he's all thinking gone. about it. I don't think he's thinking about it from that perspective. Joel says maybe maybe, but it isn't for you to decide. Marlene says or you. Marlene then says. Marlene then I think starts to make some sense to Joel, and this is what pisses Joel off. She says, "What would she do?" Because I think she'd want to do what's right, and you know it. Joel looks down, looks away. She says, "It's not too late. Not even now. Not even after what you've done." So she she knows and, he's killed the doctor, and she lowers the gun. She Again, she could have shot him in the back. She could have gotten Ellie back right then, right there. She wants to respect him. She wants to convince him. She wants to treat him as a person that can, you know, see the greater meaning and importance here that she's, that she's convinced herself of. And as you said, though he looks briefly conflicted, I'm with you. I think he's mostly pissed off that she's making him feel conflicted. Joel looks down at Ellie, looks up at Marlene, and then it cuts away to Joel driving. He's pretty emotional. Then we hear something in the back seat, and that's when we see Ellie, still in her hospital gown, is in the back seat waking up. Well, do you think Marlene was correct, by the way, about what Ellie would have done? Do you agree with Marlene's interpretation? Because it, it, that's an important data point about whether you agree with Marlene here. I've been saying it all episode, yes, because I think she already told Joel. I think she already told him. There's no halfway to this thing. We have to do this, Joel. She, she did. She, there was no equivocation from her. Yeah, I, that this was important to do, and I think she like. There was no doubt she knew it was dangerous for her. That's why Joel was even bringing it up. Why Joel was saying, hey, maybe we maybe we don't do this. And she was telling him in no uncertain terms, Joel, we have to do this. Yeah, I, I don't literally know the answer about whether she'd be okay with dying necessarily. But I think we have a lot of frame of reference to think she would have. And I think and I we, think Joel knows that. I think what Marlene says, you know that. I think Joel does. Been trying to be a professional podcaster and not jump all the way to the end. But another data point is the fact that Ellie doesn't fucking believe Joel and is not pleased with him at the end of this episode. Yeah. And by the way, she, Ellie's going to kill Joel. Uh, so <laughs> your theory, this is put it on, put that postcard on a wall, put it on a postcard. Nope. Ellie's going to kill Joel. So um, Joel then says, uh, she says, uh, Ellie in waking up says to Joel, I was with the fireflies and then. What what drugs? What what are you talking about? Joel then says, they were running some tests on you and others. Turns out they're a whole lot more like you than we see. We just know he's lying. And it, it, I, just, I just have an awful pit in my stomach as he's talking. Just people are immune, dozens of them. And the doctors, they couldn't make any of it work. They actually, we hear the gunshot, bang, in the background. So they're, they're blending realities here. Mm -hmm. They've stopped looking for a cure. She then asks where her clothes are. He says, Raiders attacked the hospital, barely got out of this, where it's like, Joel, this doesn't even remotely make any sense. Like, what do you, you know, she, she's 
coming out of anesthesia. She knows this is bullshit. Yeah. Ellie says, were there people hurt? Joel says, yes. Ellie says, is Marlene okay? Joel says, Qu- stays quiet and says, I'm taking us home. She turns around away from him mm-hmm. in the car and he says, I'm sorry. Why does he say I'm sorry? Because he knows that she wouldn't approve of what he's done. He wouldn't have said I'm sorry here if he thought that Ellie would be like cheerleading his decisions. He, She made it clear to him that she wanted to go through with this. He killed Marlene when Marlene put started to put that on the table to have the conversation about what Ellie would have wanted because he didn't want to have that conversation. And now as soon as he's fumbling his way through some bullshit story to Ellie and she turns around, he apologizes. What more do we need to know that Joel knows he did something that Ellie wouldn't have approved of? Mm-hmm. I agree. Cut back. Cut back to Joel shooting Marlene with the gun that's in his right hand under Ellie's legs as he's carrying her. I'll tell you this about Joel. Man, scrappy. Fuck, fucker is resourceful. Yeah. To keep the gun in that right hand the whole time. Co- God, covered by damn. her gown. God. I don't approve with what Joel's doing. You, but real, real recognize real. That was, a, that was a solid move. Again, he's a fascinating, wonderful character. We will second guess his decision making to the cows come home. But good God, do we love seeing him on the screen and pondering these questions that he oh, raises. Oh, man. Keeping that gun in the right hand, that was a hell of a move. Cut to Marlene. She's bleeding. She tells Joel, please let me go. And Joel says, you just come after and shoots Marlene dead. Cold, so this is somebody. Cold action. So this is what you were talking about, that he's killing unarmed innocent people, well, unarmed people. And this is somebody he had a connection with. He knew. He had a backstory with. And he was willing to shoot her. Well, and it's not, it's not just that he's trying to get Ellie. He's trying to cut off any potential that they would ever take her again. As you said. He ne- never wants to lose her or leave her again. And anyone that could be a threat to that, the unarmed doctor, well, mostly unarmed doctor, Marlene injured on the ground, any of the fireflies that are here, all of them got to die because they are potential threat. Again, this is Joel doing what Marlene was unwilling to do. There's a possible threat. Nip that in the bud right now. We see Joel traveling. He gets back to Wyoming because after 20 years, the welcome to Wyoming sign is still out there. Yeah, we, all good. Again, for the audience. We see Ellie looking at her arm. Joel mentions the car is broken down. They have to walk the rest of the way. Five hour hike, but they can manage that. Remember Joel, Ellie actually smiles here and says, yeah, yeah. Like hearkening back to the good times of their cross country trip. Cut to Joel walking and Ellie is behind her. Joel says he and Sarah used to hike a lot like this. This is the conversation where I'm like, it is his, it's a twisted, fucked up brain he's got. And I was like watching this. Like I was watching a sick person talking. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ugh. And Joel, I was like, I felt bad for him. Of course I feel bad for him. But I also felt like I was watching a mentally ill person talk. And I was like, I can't, I'm not on the Joel bandwagon. Well, it, I'm out. I'm off. It, it's interesting that he catches himself doing it too. He catches himself like he, he has to repeat several times. I think not just to Ellie, but also to himself. Well, you two are different people. You're, you're different. You've got different things going on. Not, not that anything about you is bad, but you know, compare you to my daughter in this way. He's still processing this. He's still processing how he feels about her. He's acknowledging that... I think he's even somewhat aware of the fact that he doesn't want to just view her as a replacement for his daughter. But he almost seems like he's catching himself doing it. Yeah, and I won't won't repeat the whole conversation, but that's exactly what happens. And he says, you know, I bet bet Ellie would have liked you, or I bet Sarah would have liked you because you're funny. And you would have made her laugh. Anyway, I bet you'd have liked her back. And Ellie says, yeah, I bet I would have. But Ellie is lagging behind him 
And the look on her face is not one of, oh, this is a really great fucking conversation I found myself in. It's more of a, uh oh, like he's got a problem. Joel's got a problem. There's an element. I think there's also an element of, I can't just bury this. It's like, I've got doubts. I've got questions. I think you're lying to me. I can't just walk away from that. I want to. I love you. I care about you. The most important person in my life. But I just think you did some fucked up shit and I just can't ignore that. We got to talk about it. And so she tries. Yep. So she opens the door. She does the thing. I do this with Spencer all the time. All the fucking time. Right in your face. All the fucking time. Where Spencer's having a bad day. He's not into it. He's in a bad mood. And I go, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling good today. I'm in a bad mood in an attempt to get Spencer to say, me too. Let me open up. This is what Ellie is doing here. She's saying with a rock, man. Nice try though. Back in Kansas City, you asked me about the first time I killed someone. And then she explains the situation with Riley. She mm-hmm. talks about what happened. How Riley said, be all poetic and just lose our minds together. And Riley did. And I had too. And she was the first to die. Then it was Tess. Then it was Sam. And what she's building to, and Joel cuts her off because he doesn't want to hear the end of this, Yeah, is... This has progressively gotten worse. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot of really fucked up stuff. Now, can you please finish the story for me, Joel, and tell me what really happened? But he then comes in and dad mansplains to her this bizarrely sometimes artificial concept about, oh, but sometimes bad things happen. And then other times you want good things to happen. He's just filled. This is filler. This is he's trying to filibuster. And she says she cuts him off and she says, swear to me that everything you said about the fireflies is true. And Joel Bold face without hesitation. Fucking liar, says I swear. She looks at him, very serious, looks down and says, okay, here's the thing. If you're going to be so fucking mad at Marlene for lying to Ellie about, or or lie of... Omission. um, Omission, absolutely. (laughs) Lie of anesthesia before talking about it. You obviously don't think that people should be above lying to Ellie if it serves their purposes, because you do it right at the end of this episode. Bald face right, right to her. So, like... Every possible way, I feel like Joel is trapped in here as being a fuckhead. This is an interesting one, too. Is that a good technical term for him, fuckhead? Is that, is that in the DSM-4? Uh, it, it, it was previously in the DSM-3. It's been dropped because it offended people. You know how they do things nowadays. Now, hmm, not, I see. Not the yeah, DSM-5 every, anymore. Participation trophy culture. I got you. Yeah, can't say that so. anymore. No, you can't, you yeah. can't, just can't call people fuckheads anymore, I'm afraid. Okay. Okay. How about uh, fucked up? Uh, fair. Unhealthy? That, that one's in there. That, those, are, those are in there still. God, he is a mess. What, it, and like the, it, I find it fascinating that people... And I know this is the truth. I, I, I followed enough of it online that there are ardent Joel supporters to the point of saying, Vehement, like, I angry. Saying, and I saw people say things like, I, I love blasting through that hospital and killing all those fireflies as Joel. Like, I got a kick out of that. And I was like, what, what is going on with your brain? It, 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 well, now that we're at the end, there's two things I want to address. One, uh, I watch, uh, unlike you, I, I watched the after episode, uh, in terms of the creator's talk. I, don't always enjoy doing so. I refuse to watch it. Uh, one of the things they said, and I think they just meant this in terms of a perspective on it, was that this lie that this, this, this lie that Joel told her was in the category of parents lying to protect their children. And I hate that way of framing. I see that all the time in terms of people describing this, but I hate that way of framing this because this lie, from my perspective, is not him protecting Ellie; it's him protecting his relationship with Ellie. And that is different. It's him effectively protecting 
lying to her for fear of how she'll react and whether he, she would not want to be with him or around him anymore. He's protecting himself. Yes, that's the ultimate heart. He's lying to her to protect his interests and what he thinks is right. It's the exact same thing Marlene was doing, except Marlene happened to fucking be right because she was trying to save all of humanity as opposed to Joel, who just wants to create like a cool little like family unit. He can go like retire to the suburbs. Like his lie is way fucking worse. And I think the way that uh, Craig and Neil meant when they said that was how parents lie to themselves in terms of thinking that the lies they're saying are helping their children or protecting their children or whatever Mm. else and more in Mm. that context. I see. I think that's how they more than admit it. That may be how Joel kind of looks at this, is that I'm trying to protect her from the pain and trauma of knowing what I did, but that is twisted and self-serving if you're trying to style it in that particular way. I see what you're saying. But I had a whole thing I was trying to say. I get you. And I'm with you. It was great. I just said it anyway. Who cares? I just jamming it in. All right. Let's get to the best line of the episode because we got to get to, we got to get to ethical questions of the episode. We have to let that segment breathe and we're already at an hour and 30 minutes. Okay. Vamp for one second because I'm pulling up my notes on a different computer. All right. So I think. I would say this about best line of the episode. Not the strongest one this this episode. Well, it's, a, this was, it's like a 40-minute episode. So yeah, that's, the, that's what that's what I was going to say. Is that while, while Spencer pulls his notes up, I would like to say my one... I have been critical of Joel's decision-making in-universe, but the fact that I care so much about it should be an indication of how great this storytelling is. That I'm, I'm on here and I can't wait to rant and rave about what a character did. That's awesome storytelling. Yes. What's not so great storytelling is a 45-minute finale that absolutely could have been longer. Like, I don't know why they they condensed it this way. I felt like this was the one misstep in the storytelling the entire season, from my perspective, is why shorten the finale so much? If I... This is two complaints that fans of the video game particular have offered that I'm I'm more in agreement with, even if I don't go as far as some of them have been. When I say fans of the video game, I'm a fan of the video game, but diehard fans have been particularly hyping on this, that... Uh, that the pacing was a little bit wonky because we had two episodes that were heavily not grounded in Joel and Ellie's relationship given its overall importance. I agree with that. I think I, I think I found episode seven more jarring than I found episode three, and I also think episode three is just such a perfect little movie. I'll forgive everything about it. Uh, with yeah, respect to that. agreed. Agreed. But the other thing they've said is that there should have been more time spent with Joel and Ellie, and I'm kind of with them there. This could have easily been a ten-episode season, and it worked. And there could have been a longer finale just to give a little bit more time between them, and we would have loved it. So I don't know why they kind of shortened and streamlined it to nine episodes, other than just to make it more bite-sized and compactable and condensed for TV. And I think they could have been served by having a little bit more breathing room, particularly at the end, with respect to giving us a bit more time to adjust and spend more time with the two of them to make this ending all the more effective. I yep, still agreed. think it works. I think we're more talking about how ways they could have made it even better rather than ways they could have done to make it good. Agreed. I, yeah, I, there's a reason I didn't get to that complaint until an hour and 30 minutes in, right? Is yes. it's not that big a deal, but I do think it's a, it's a, it's a misstep of there's just no reason to shorten the finale when you have so much plot you're going through. Okay. I got my quotes. You ready? All right. Yeah. Fire away. Uh, early on by, uh, Anna, Ashley Johnson telling, telling baby Ellie, you tell him, you fucking tell him, Ellie. I like that line. I like that. That was one of the few things that we hear her mom say to her. Because it's just a great little bit of encouragement for a parent offered to what in they know is their last moments. Uh, Ellie to Joel. After all we've been through, everything I've done, it can't be for nothing. I know you mean well. I know you want to protect me. And you have. And when we're done, we can go wherever you want. Tommy's, Sheep Ranch, the moon. I'll follow you anywhere you want to go. But there's no halfway with this. We finish what we started. Powerful line. Important line. 
perspective line. Very important line going forward for this episode. Um, line from Joel, which I, I love this line, and I think I'm, I don't want to say necessarily more forgiving of Joel, but more acknowledging that, you know, Joel is a very conflicted and complex and multifaceted character. Um, I'd say that's definitely true. Yeah. Uh, but his confession to her about shooting himself, it was me. I was the guy who shot and missed. There's no story. Sarah died, and I couldn't see the point anymore. Simple as that. I wasn't scared either. I was ready. I couldn't have been more ready. But when I, when I went to pull the trigger, I flinched. Still don't know why. Anyway, the reason I'm telling you all this, Ellie interrupts, I, I know why you're telling me all this. Joel, yeah, I reckon you do. Ellie, so time heals all wounds, I guess? Joel, it wasn't time that did it. It's an important line for their relationship and made all the more important or interesting to unpack after events that come immediately afterward. Um, line from uh, Marlene to Joel, please. You, you uh, From Joel, you don't understand, Marlene. I do. I was there when she was born, Joel. I promised her mother that I would save her child. I promised. So I do understand. I'm the only one who understands. I'm sorry. I have no other choice. And Joel, coldly, I do. Uh, you, pop, 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 pop. Sorry, Joel. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, you are. Come you, on! I killed Joel. You already did it line for line recently, so I won't repeat it. But Marlene in the parking garage to Joel of course her last desperate attempt to, to appeal to his better nature, to convince him of the merits of her cause. It's a wonderful series of lines. It's all accurate. It's something that Joel can't deny. His way of denying it is to shoot her to shut her up rather than actually confront or contradict her. Because he, he can't. Uh, well done scene. Um, dying scene from Marlene. No, wait, wait, wait. Please let me go. Joel, you just come after her. Bang! And then the final exchange that, you know, summarized it already but from Ellie confronting Joel at the end recounting what they've lost recounting what they've been through how it had to have meaning and now that's been taken from her and just giving him a last chance to be honest with her and him denying her that lying to her face and her I don't know if it's accepting it I don't know if it's needing to buy the fiction of it and going on but she takes it and it ends. How do you feel about that ending, by the way? It's just as famously abrupt in the video game of where it just cuts off with her saying, okay, and then exiting out. Did that work for you, or was that a Sopranos kind of ending? No, it was not. A, well, it, it wasn't a Sopranos ending in the sense that I know there's more. Yeah. Right? It's not the season um, fina- series finale. Right. If, it, if that was actually the end, then I'd be a little frustrated with it because I feel like I... I feel like we got a, a sense of where this story is going to go. I mean, this blazing into my prediction for where this is going. So I actually kind of liked it. I mean, it was a tease, I would say. A tease for, for where the story is going to go. Hmm? I'm with you. So, in the meantime, though, who wins best quote? Best line of the episode. Episode 9, last of us, season 1, is Marlene to Joel. Please let me go, Joel. You just come after her. Oh, that's a cold, brutal line. People have been waiting for that line because it plays out exactly word for word, bit by, you know, beat by beat like that in the video game. Yeah, I think that's the most important because I think we have to recognize that, that I, I, rec- I like, I've come in here hot on a particular side of this, right? Joel's which got is you that, hopping. Which is, that, which is that Joel is a fucking idiot and he's wrong and he's mentally ill and he's unhealthy and I believe all that stuff. But I also believe that, like, there is a conversation to be had about that, mm-hmm. right? About his decision making. 
what there is not a conversation to be had about that is just fact is that he murdered innocent people. That there's no, If you believe that, that he just only killed people that deserved it, I don't think you're looking at it right. I don't. I think no, you're. I think you're I, factually think you're, wrong at that point. We don't have a. We don't have an opinion disagreement. You're not, you're you're factually wrong. Yeah, if, if, if you, you think wanna, that Joel, you know, it's it's okay to risk all this to save family and blah 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 blah. Broader discussion. That's a fun discussion. But Joel murdered innocent people here. Yeah. The better, the more accurate way to look at this is that if you're willing to justify Joel's actions by the importance of family relationships, you know. Viewing it as a crime to you know kill a child, not being that worth, whatever else. That's a discussion to have and people have for 10 years with justification and merits and massively interesting philosophical analyzing. But if you don't view what he did as at least a crime, as at least wrongful, to then try to justify it after the fact... I, th- I just think you're you're not reading the text right. You're not you're not interpreting it how the author wanted you to understand it. Correct. I agree. So, shall we go into familial moments as our last step before ethical questions? Familial moment of the episode. Um, I, I want to hear your thoughts because I know you're on an eleven right now when it comes to what this episode is saying about family. Familial moment of the episode to me has to be the beginning. It has to be Anna doing what she can to save Ellie, whether it be killing the infected who's attacking her while she's in labor, whether it be cutting the umbilical cord as fast as she possibly can as soon as she saw that she was bit, whether it be holding the knife to her throat, waiting to turn to protect Ellie, whether it be lying to Marlene about when she was bit in the sequencing of the events, whether it be evoking every bit of emotional currency that she can, that she could pull out of her purse to throw at Marlene, to try to convince Marlene to take Ellie to save her. All of those things is a mother's love to a child in her last moments. That's got to be familiar moment of the episode. Everything that happens with Joel and Ellie this episode is fucked and sideways, and I don't want any parts of it. It's the beginning of this episode's familiar episode, familiar moment of the episode to moi. What about you? I'm going to give it to you because I don't think you want to book a discussion on this point right now. And I, I, I'm with you that that's the most. <laughs> I'm punchy. I don't I, like I think, Joel. I think it's the cleanest familial moment. We've got others. We've got a lot of others. We've got a lot of scenes of emotion between Joel and Ellie. We've got, you know, whatever else you want to unpack it. The, what he does at the end is an act of love. And we just need to view love in also a dark and dangerous kind of means in terms of how we interpret it, too. A possessive. Of course it too. is. Of, of course it is an act it, of love, but it's still sick, deranged, and wrong. What? So I, I think focusing on that first moment is just so much cleaner because all the other moments it is focusing on an ask, on the darker, more twisted, more perverse, more conflicted aspects of love and familial relationships that that other original moment isn't as steeped in, isn't as sullied by. So. I think there's a lot of great familial moments, but I'm going to give you that one because before we go into ethical questions, I want a shining ray of hope in a way that we otherwise don't get to the same degree. I mean, all of that stuff with Anna and her baby was heartbreaking, tragic, but also beautiful, right? Because it's like, you know, this is, this is one of the things that makes humans just so interesting is that like, she doesn't know this baby from shit. Like, you know, just baby was just born like, you know, and, and, the immediate emotional connection because she had it in her womb, because she gave birth to it, because she feels responsibility for it is something an innate that connects all humans for all existence. And that's kind of a, a beautiful thing to see play out. I like that part. That was really fun. And then we went off a fucking cliff. 
Okay. Let's go into ethical questions. <laughs> Let's go. We've been at the Hyde episode. I I'm want ready to, start, to go. I want to start this with a bit of polling that has been done previously. This was done back during the video game era pre-show, but they asked people whether what they felt about what they thought Joel's actions were justifiable or not. And polling company, fa- don't tell me this is Rasmussen. This was not Rasmussen. This was done okay. much more. This was, I don't think this was done by a formal polling company. This wasn't done by Gallup kind of thing. But, so bear with me to a certain degree. Tell me, tell me it's Gallup. I like Gallup. Um... I can't. I, I would love to. I would love if Gallup had done that back in like 2013. That would be great. Um, but no, uh, what they also asked people various demographic questions about themselves. And based on that, the single most common denominator about people believing Joel's actions were justified and they would have done them themselves. What do you suspect that was? What if they had children? If they had children at home. If they had yeah. children at home, they were more likely than not to support Joel's actions and say yep. that they would have done them themselves. I see that. Looking at it through that light, does that at all change your moral stance? Your moral stance has been apparent. And you can reiterate it if you wish, but I think everyone has been able to interpret that you condemn Joel's actions and find them yes. morally unjustifiable, a complete breach of what his duties are to mankind, humanity, whatever else, or just basic ethics. If it was your child... Do you think your decision making would have been different than Joel's? Would that have altered well, your decision making, or only you to sympathize with him more? Well, this is where I have to disclose I don't have a ch- I don't have children. And, Neither was and so yeah. If, and so if it was your cat, sir. Well, well, yeah, and so like nothing. So or, for people was, who was, do it, have children, but was there? It was who, a, it was a loved one. Uh, li- listen, it don't there ain't, there ain't a damn. It, everyone, no one's life is so important. To give up the chance to save humanity. No one, myself included. Kill me. Take my fucking brain if it's got a little corseps in it that'll save everybody. Do it. There's no single human life that's more important than all of humanity. I, I can't believe I have to say that out loud. That's a crazy, a, a it's a crazy lot, thing that we're even arguing it. A lot of people disagree with you. I don't. I, I, I know. And I, I just want to try to represent the side, but I, 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 I'm in yeah. the view of where I fully understand Joel's actions. I even sympathize with the emotional st- I understand why Joel did what he did. I, I of course, think perfectly yeah. in character they did what he did. I even Agreed. sympathize with the emotional state and motivation they would have to do that. Yes. But I can't agree with it. I can't morally support it. And I can't say, well, I mean, it's obviously me speaking from not having that kind of perspective. But if I had done the same, I would have still condemned myself as being immoral for doing that kind of thing. I, I, I have to view what he did as wrong for a variety of perspectives. Not only for just for the what he denied mankind for what hope that he lost from the universe, but also just what he was willing to do to accomplish what he wanted. See, I think that like people listening who have children, especially children at home, are probably going to listen to me and you, two people without children. Yeah. But this is having this opinion. Established. Right. They're having this opinion and they're going to go, they don't get it. They're going to say that. Right. But what I would offer is that, in the same, there's a, in the same way that maybe I don't get it because I don't have a kid. Maybe you don't get it because you do. Yeah. Maybe that I would offer that. Maybe the fact that you do have a kid and you have that strong natural emotional response to the child has skewed your decision making in the same way that it skews Joel. And maybe you're just as wrong. Like I, yeah. I would offer that as a counter. And I also say, I think we get it. We just don't agree with it. It's like, we get where well, you're coming from. We understand what you're feeling. We still can uh, say you're wrong. Uh, I've heard people make this argument. Here's what they'll say. Until you have your kid in your arms, you don't know. That's what they'll say. 
Yes, and I, but- I'm sure that's true about a great many things. Here's where I know it's not true is my belief that one human being is more important than all of humanity. It's not it's going to ever believe that about anybody. Never. I think it, all, it also factors into something we've discussed previously about letting family members decide executions for murder for, for murderers. It's like, sure, we know exactly why you would do what you do. We still don't view it as just. That's the reason we don't let you make that decision. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, part part of the reason, I mean, first off, let, peel back behind the curtain for the people who have hung in there with us for two hours. I've come in hot here in part to play a part on the podcast because it's more fun to have somebody a strong on one side than the other. Right. So that's part of what I've been doing here. It's more fun to come in hot on a particular subject. But that's I do fundamentally, that said, I do fundamentally think that Joel's actions are wrong on multiple levels. And I love what people say multiple levels. We got a friend Levi who's on another podcast with us called mm-hmm. Bangham Talks, just Bangham Talks. He's on that. And he loves to make fun of people when they say on multiple levels because he'll always say name the levels. He'll say go mm-hmm. ahead and name the levels, would you? Because it's an expression. I, I, people I think you can hear though. In this one, I do actually have levels, right? Because you have the the human humanity implications, the implications to saving all of humanity. He's wrong. I think you have the level wrong that Ellie's already told him what she wants, so he's wrong there, and and he knows he's wrong because he never levels with her. He never, he he never, first off, he never stopped motion in the hospital to ask her, to wake her back up to ask her, which he, which is an option he could have done. Two, he never, he lies to her about it afterwards because I think he knows that she wouldn't approve of this, right? So you have that level, but then I also think you have the very basic level that he was just murdering innocent people. So I think you really have a real, you have a fucking smorgasbord of poor actions from Joel here. And And I think it's, it's easy to go after him. Throw at the end that he lied to her. Just just even after the fact that he, not only denied her a choice, but his hypocrisy on calling out Marlene and not giving her that choice is just reiterated at the end that he continues to deny her any degree of understanding about what occurred or any right to her own agency about it. But here's what's fun. Because every time I come out hot on something on a podcast, people write in and tell me how I'm wrong, I'm stupid, I don't understand things. So here's what I'd like you to do, folks. If you're sitting here seething at how at my my characterization of Joel's actions... If you're mad at what we're saying, absolutely tell us. What? At Mango Talks on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Mango Talks or MangoTalks.com. You can, you can upload right or contact we us or you can contact them. us on the individual podcast itself, uh, podcast webpage. You can, you can comment any of those ways or you can even leave a comment on your favorite whatever podcast provider you are listening to this in. Like if you're listening to Apple, right, you can write a review and you can, you can comment. Any of those ways are available to you to give to us the information that you don't fucking agree. Cause I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear why you don't agree. Now don't just tell me I'm an idiot cause I don't have kids. I mean, you can do that if you want, but that's less interesting. What I'm more interested in is tell me how it makes sense for Joel to a Take saving humanity off the table because of Ellie's one life, because of her one life. Two, to do this absolutely like, or not absolutely, but to to do this against Ellie's will, or at least he doesn't know that Ellie would want him to do this and suspect she wouldn't. And and it's, and see how, why is it okay to just start shooting people who have, who have already surrendered to Joel? Why is that okay? I'd love for, I'd love for people to write in and tell us that if they're, if they're sitting there angry right now at what we're saying. Tell us why you think what you well, think. And I, and I think it's notable that a number of people that are very much in Joel's camp, which is said, I, I'd almost say it's in the majority. 
I'd almost say it's at least a a significant portion at times. I don't know. I don't know. That's hard. It's hard to believe. It's people really. A majority of people think that was the right thing to do. It's hard to say. A lot of the polls have had inconsistent results, and a lot of the people that are very much in the Joel camp are very aggressive about their opinions, so they often just shout louder. So various forums. I'm willing to shout pretty loud. I know you are, Um, but (laughs) it's notable how much they also go hand in hand in trying to say that it, it would that the theory that the cure wasn't real that they couldn't have actually made it happen that it's illogical that it doesn't make sense in story or out of story whatever else which in my mind is a certain grasping at straws it's a certain element of justifying what you what you are acknowledging is not justifiable by undermining the other alternative i think it's well, in some ways that's telling if if, so, if, you're, if your main defense is to attack the possibility of a cure you're not confronting the moral issue. You're trying to make it so it isn't one. Yeah, because you know if you get to that point, Joel's on shaky ground. Yes. Now, if you if that is your opinion, right, that this probably wasn't a cure and it, it, it was it was all sort of like bunk, smoke and mirrors. Then why the fuck would the doctor grab a surgical knife and stand in front of Ellie and say, "You're going to fucking shoot me before you take her"? Why would he do that if he didn't believe it? The the usual so argument there is, is desperation. They're grasping at straws themselves. They want to believe this rather than it actually being something that could happen. Well, yeah. So then you, if you believe, so play game it out, right? Then you have to think that the doctor is just that wrong. That he's just sure. You, you, you have to think that. That's a key part and, of it, yes. And then it's like, think about what you're having to do to construct this. <laughs> like, you're really having to just sort of like it, make inferences and make guesses and all that. Well, the doctor has to be wrong. And it, to me, it just seems... It smacks of, I don't know, Just I'm just stating my opinion, folks. That's why we have a podcast. It's just my opinion. It smacks of people who want to be sympathetic to Joel because they're having an emotional response to what he's doing and then constructing an argument based off of that as opposed to any facts. Well, let's attack this in another way then. Do you think Marlene behaved ethically in terms of the actions that she did, either in not telling Ellie and choosing to kill an innocent for the sake of the greater good, we we've on the sub on our Game of Thrones podcast we've argued before on the on the merits of, of killing an innocent for the alleged greater good and you know how we supported Davos in terms of actions of saying that that was bullshit and shouldn't be done by in a moral and ethical world. How do we feel about Marlene? You said to, that I'm Team Stannis. You said that uh, you've always been Team Stannis, yes. But I was very much sympathizing with Davos in that regard. How do we feel then about Marlene choosing to be Team Stannis Melisandre in terms of killing Ellie? For the greater good, when she has a personal duty and obligation to her, when she's denying her agency, the same oh, way she's blah, 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 criticizing blah, blah, blah. Joel Fur. What do we what do we say to it? But the, the whole I have a personal like obligation to Ellie from twenty years ago or fourteen she years ago. She feels like, it. She feels yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that 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 to me is the shakiest part of it. So when I'm talking about how wrong Joel is, my voice is at an eleven. Mm-hmm. When I talk about how right Marlene is, I'm, about, I'm a little bit quieter. <laughs> Just a little bit, I'm a little bit quieter about that one. It's yeah, a great I, world. I, look, I would, I, I think Marlene did what you have to do, which is you, you can't tell her because she there's a the chance she'll decision. run. There's a chance she won't consent. There's a chance she'll tell Joel. They should fight Joel. Like I, she, I would have done what Marlene did, which is not tell her, put her under, take her brain, try to save humanity. That one's harder. It is. It is. Because you're having to lie to an innocent person and you're having to kill an innocent. It's, but a, it's I an immoral decision, but we're, you're saying it's justifiable. Yeah. I mean, like, I, 
I, I approach this fundamentally that if you, if there's a, if you kill one person to save humanity, you always kill the one person always. And, and even if the person is really, really cool and you really, really like them and they're just the bestie, you still kill them if you can save humanity. And that's what Marlene's doing here. So yeah, I'm on board with Marlene's actions. I'm with her, but I'm a little less loud about it. <laughs> I, I I would have found her actions were justifiable if she'd, if she'd involved Ellie. I think it would have been fair to Ellie. I think it would have been justifiable to Ellie. I, and I understand why they didn't, because from their perspective, it wouldn't matter if Ellie said no. So why, why invite the problem that would come from it? Correct. But I think it becomes all the more justifiable that if you're going to say this is for the greater good of humanity, give the person that is going to be the sacrifice a chance to choose it themselves. Because then the idea of sacrificing the innocence out the window, the innocence choosing, the innocence part of it, the innocence, not the innocence, innocence becoming a martyr to, your, to, to a cause that we remember forever rather than a sacrificial lamb. If when you, when you reach the point of one person versus humanity, mm-hmm. I I know maybe it's, maybe I'm just a bad maybe I'm a bad person. Are we discovering I'm a bad person? I might be a bad person. But when Th- we this reach is the, why we, we have these the, talks. When we reach the point of one person versus humanity, I'm not interested in talking to them. Consent? Not, I'm not interested in it. Like I don't care because ultimately we're going to kill you. And I hope they do the same thing to me. I I, I hope you do. Don't even t- don't even tell me about it. Just pop me right in the head if you can save all of humanity. Please do it because. No one life is worth more than all humanity. And and you do, if you have the chance to take a life to save humanity, you always do it and you do it in the least risky way possible. To quote Winston Churchill, if you have to kill someone, it costs you nothing to be polite. I think it would have cost them little to nothing to talk with Ellie if they agree that she's going to be on their side. And they do. And we think that she would be. Why not give her the choice to actually be part of that's this? the strongest part of your argument that you made so far to me, just for me that landed yeah. is because Marlene strongly suspected that Ellie would have been on board with this. So what and she says, you? she says as much to Joel. So then why not have the conversation? Okay. Yeah. Now that part hit a little home to me. I'm getting a little quieter. My voice get a little quieter. It's one of those things of where get I'm, a little quieter. I think Joel behaved wrong and I'm more team Marlene than I'm not. But I can't say that she behaved morally or ethically here, even if I think her actions are ultimately justifiable. I think she could have gone about this a lot better. Not only not just the killing Jill part, I think she could have avoided all this outcome by also recognizing what she herself said, that Ellie is a part of this and she would agree and she would do what was right for the greater good. If she'd allowed that to be explored, I wonder what all of this could have been avoided. No. no I, I, now that part, that that's where... I, you, you don't the, think the, Joel would have gone a different path? Well, the right? text is not the text is not clear. We don't know for it, sure, there, but I think Joel would have taken Ellie out against her will to save her at that point. I think that's that's how rabid he was with this. I, I think that's perfectly possible. But I think what's marvelous about this text, well written, every medium that it has been mm-hmm. in, is that it makes each of these decisions have grounds, have yeah. justifications, have reasons for which people would support them from their own perspectives, from their old backgrounds, same as the characters in story. That's great writing. That's well done writing for the, for the, to have these kind of moments that people talk about for years to come. Completely agree. Uh, the fact that we're having such a heated, uh, you know, we agree, but it's still heated because I feel strongly we, about we, it. We acknowledge like, that we're, that there's justifications uh, for alternative views. Yeah. The conversation about this shows me that this is really, really, really well done narrative. Like, 
I am not into zombie shows. I won't be counting today's till this comes back because it is fundamentally a zombie show. But I recognize good writing, and I have an emotional response to good writing, and that's what this is. It's really, really good writing. So shout out to the show. This was this is the best zombie anything I've ever seen ever. So, so, so sir, after all this, then I've got to ask you: the chicken. Are you willing to give it a stock card? Not great advertisers, not everything oh, else. Oh, yeah. But are yeah, you willing made, to give I, the chicken a stock card out? I know. I made this joke. I said that they were like a Toyota or something, right? Because my, my yeah. knowledge of NASCAR is 25 years old. Toyota apparently is like dominating NASCAR, so that was a terrible analogy. I think uh, <laughs> I thought you meant maybe, a Corolla. That's how I interpreted I need, it. I think I need to say like a Hyundai or something. Maybe that's right. Hmm. Um, yeah, no. It, like it's it, It's really – well done television. It's a well done narrative. I have very few complaints about how this the series was written, how it was done, anything about it. I, I think it's just really, really well done. Um, can't say that enough. The the type of story is not for me, but it's know, well told. I got to a point pretty quickly where watching it every week for the show was not a chore, even though I didn't like the basic premise of the show. And that that that's says something about how they've done it. And it's interesting to me that if the diehards that wanted the show to be much more like the video game had gotten their way, I don't think you would have liked the show as much. Agreed. Yeah, because when you were you were explaining that, you were saying that the diehards wanted it to be more like bang, bang, shoot 'em up. I was over here vigorously shaking my head no. They wanted it to be more bang, bang, shoot 'em up. They wanted the characters to be much more coarse, violent, brutal. They wanted a lot more zombies. That's one of the biggest that's one of the biggest complaints. Uh, there weren't enough zombies. We basically saw no zombies in the last five episodes. Good. What is this? That's where they're coming from because that's a lot of the experience of the video game in terms of because they have to have action. It can't just be the drama; otherwise, it would be a movie. They have to have the gameplay yeah, that's put in sure. or whatever else. Yeah. They they adapted this to focus more on the drama and the action. That works for me. I think in some ways that actually fits the themes of the video game, at least the story themes of the game, better. But I fully get that if that was your experience of the story with that gameplay, with that experience, with that focuses, with those characters, the fact that's not portrayed this way, I get why that grates on you. I do. Even if it is no way as uh, coarse to me as it is for you. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I, I get where they're coming from, and I'm not saying they're, like, wrong. I mean, that's your preference. I'm no, just saying that for I someone want... who doesn't, it, it casts a wider net doing it the way they've done it. Mm-hmm. it and now, I think, as we as we highlight, I think they could have done a little bit better with some aspects of the pacing. I think this could have let this breathe more and given us more Joel and Ellie time. But... The fact that it's a 9 out of 10 rather than a 10 out of 10 is not that much of a criticism. I think this was really well done television. I think it reflects the quality of writing that we've come to expect out of these two writers. And I think it makes me very excited for where they go with next season, particularly given how much more controversial the next season is with those video gamers who loved the first game so much. Completely agree. All right, anything else you want to say as we wrap up season one of The Last of Us? I am so pleasantly surprised how well this landed, how much better than I assumed in some ways that it was going to be, and how happy I am that we got to have so much fun talking about it together, that you found a place to very much like and treasure the show, something that I've liked for many years, but now got to share with you. It has been a blast, man. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. This is one of of the more enjoyable podcasts we've done because the dynamic shifted so much and people would never know it if they only listened to this but most of our podcast i'm the uber excited positive guy and you are oh this is seasonal rot this isn't very good the characters aren't reasonable (laughs) like it's not bad 
all of that, and it, and, it, and it completely got flipped on its head here for us, right? Where I, every week you were kind of having to bring me along a little bit and, and bring sometimes bring the energy. Although I brought the energy today because I was ready to throw Joel to the wolves. But most most weeks you were having to bring the energy, so it, was, it flipped. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I'll be looking forward to season two. Uh, my understanding about season two, I the plot of season two. Has what been do spoiled. you know? All right, I know that they did a second video game. They did. I know that in the second video game, Ellie is older. There is a time jump. Yeah. I know that they, they, that's all I know about the second video game. And I know that the show has said that they are going to do the second video game in multiple seasons. Which I think is a good call. I think that could yeah. fix some of the issues that people had with the video game. I think eventually Ellie will kill Joel. And it might not have already happened in episode. It might, might be in the third but, video game that's about to happen. But I think at some point Ellie's going to kill Joel. She's going to have to. Ponder that out, because I, I think I, it might be fair to say I have more sympathy for Joel than you do, particularly at this moment. You are a- very anti-Joel right now as much pretty as you much love the any, character. Uh, pretty much everybody does. Uh, I, what If you had to assume a context for where that would happen, paint the story for me. What would you imagine would lead to it? I think that the the se- the secret of what Joel did in the hospital will be held for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think as Ellie gets older and she gets more aware of the world, she'll likely become a firefly or some version of that, meaning a well-meaning person out there trying to make the world better and doesn't necessarily with Fedra. A member of the Council of Jackson, Wyoming. Yeah, whatever. She's going to see just how bad she over and over again. She said just how bad this world is. And how terrible it is. And it's going to weigh on her that they potentially, her and Joel, potentially had at their fingertips a way to save this. And Joel prevented her from being able to do it. Took her agency away. Did not allow her to be able to do that. And it's going to weigh on her and weigh on her. And the more she lives in this world, the more violent, she's already pretty violent, more violent and fucking out of control she's going to get. And when that, that, that eventually blows up, when she eventually is able to pull that out of him and get out of him what he did. I think she'll erupt and kill him. Right. Can you fit all that on your post-it note on the wall? Three post-it notes right there. Ellie kills Joel. <laughs> I meant for a little greater detail, but that is giant size 45 font you got there. It looks like, even, you know, like you know, time, that, yeah, proper times New Roman there. Fine yeah. enough. You've got your notes. I realize that's a bit of a reach. I really think I realize the idea of Ellie killing Joel is probably not, probably not, is common, it? but yeah, it's it's what I think will happen eventually. I think it's the way to go to the story. It's fun for us to be invested enough in a show that we got theories again. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate you going on this journey with us, reviewing every episode of The Last of Us here on Mango Talks The Last of Us. If you want to continue listening to Spencer and I week by week, you can jump on over to The Lasso Lowdown, where... If you can believe it, Spencer every week leads the recap. It's the best. He does it every week. We're going to do every week. Spencer leads the recap over on the Lasso Lowdown for every episode of season three of Ted Lasso, which they've teased might be the last episode, last season of of Ted Lasso, which is pretty exciting that we might be reviewing the last season of the most positive cultural influence show we've ever seen. And then as a great juxtaposition to the ray of sunshine that is <laughs> Ted Lasso Night over day. on line of succession. We'll be reviewing season four of succession, which is not necessarily sunshine and rainbows. No. I will lead the recap on that every week. And we'll actually have two pods going at the same time. First time in Mangum talks podcast history. 
that we Three have that going on. At the same time. Yeah, Spencer's also doing a chapter by chapter reread of Harry Potter, and I'm also doing a week by week review of Mandalorian season three. So a lot going on in the podcast network. If you want to just see our stuff, if all that was too much for you to write down on your post-it note, just type in Mangum Talks in whatever podcast provider you're using, or go to www.mangumtalks.com and follow us at Mangum Talks on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Mangum Talks. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll be back with you on this feed for season two of the last one.